Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Yeah! I'm a big Talking about a bakery, that's for sure. Whether it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, I don't think Wiz Khalifa's talking about a bakery. By the way, that's a great performance, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, by the Prince of Staten Island, Minnie Madunio. I actually prefer him uh, than Dina Martin. I'll just say it straight up, because I got the credit to be able to say it. Hey, what are you going to do? Right after I just finished 48 Hours? I'm looking to hear good programming. I want to hear about some freaking cocktail every week, the same ingredients and the same freaking cocktail. I'll be the one to say it. That's right. Everybody else, no, no, I'm not going to say anything. Oh, no, no. Hey, look, I'm going to say it, right? Like I say about everything here. I've earned the right to say it. That's a great job by the Prince of uh, Staten Island, Vinny Madunio. Like to hear more of, of Vinny, that's, that's for sure. I'm going to put in the word with our owners and operators. Although I would have liked to have heard a little tribute to the uh, loss of a classic female singer, dancer, and in fact, actress who came out of the Bronx, who unfortunately had died in Miami Beach overnight. Remember the name? Remember the name? Come on, ladies and gentlemen. How could you so forget? It's not even 24 hours. Irene Cara, right? Flashdance, fame, Bronx girl. J-Lo's putting out like her eighth album now, right? Oh, diva of all divas. You know, between her and Mariah Carey, I don't know who's more of a diva. But after eight years, she hasn't put out an album. You think the Jenny on the Block, legitimately Bronx, Castle Hill, Preston High School in the neck, would dedicate the album to Irene Carroll, who she listened to, she mimicked, she imitated to great success. I mean, uh, she's had so many albums. I don't know, more albums than uh, husbands that she's dropped like a bad habit. What happened to Ben Affleck? Whack, whack. Boy, that was quick. That beat any of my previous marriages, that's for sure. Oh, my God. Come on, dedicate this to Irene Carroll. We're going to do a little tribute later on in the show. Uh, but other than that, I give um, I give Vinny Madunio an A. Would have had A plus if he had a little Irene Carroll in there. But, you know, I understand. I understand. He was restricted. He's JV. You know, I'm senior. I'm varsity here. So I, I got to get it off my chest. Much better show. Much better show. But. Let's uh, push on because, uh, unfortunately, I'm saddled with the crew of the Mamaluke Frank Morano, the worst side of the other side of midnight. I don't know why I have them on uh, Sunday nights. Makes no sense to me. I, what, what was that? Who, who's that talking? Where are they coming from, right? Look, they're coming in. It, it's, it's like they're in a purple haze. Oh, yeah, we're going to be talking about Jimi Hendrix. Would have been his birthday. 
And also Bruce Lee would have been his birthday. Ironically, they're both buried in Seattle. Ah, you didn't know that. You just learned something here. Okay. All right, go ahead. Go back to your Puff Puff Pass, Frank Morano's crew. You know, I don't know what it is. Yeah, Alex is here, the brown nose producer. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, the runway model, Ken, who's always lost. And, of course, uh, Matt Blaze at the boards. Uh, that definitely is a series of aliases he used. I know damn well you're a fugitive from the law. In fact, I've gone from the FBI forever busting Italians and then after 9-11 forever busting Islamists to Interpol. Because you look to me like you could be one of these cryptocurrency Ponzi scammers, like you could be one of these Bitcoin bandits, like you could be one of these blockchain criminals. And by the way, one of them just died at the age of 30. You think that's a little suspicious? His nickname, T.T., where was he from? Hong Kong. Need I say more? Oh, boy. And we're not bailing out these Bitcoin bandits, these blockchain criminals, or these cryptocurrency Ponzi scammers. We'll get into that later on. Yeah, yeah, TT dead at 30. Sure, he just died in his sleep. Wow, I'm expecting to believe that when I know that all those East Europeans over there in Romania, Bulgaria, and the Serbians... They hack into your computer system. They control you. They grab you by the short hairs, and they say, you want it back? Yeah, yeah, we'll do anything. How about if we send you cash? No. Check? No. Well, why are you transfer? No. Uh, what's the ransom? Uh, Bitcoin. That's a criminal enterprise. Anyway, you caused me to digress. I'm so angry that I'm stuck with a Frank Morano. Worst of the other side of Midnight Crew, like I am each and every week. Dominic Carter will be in here from 12 to 1, and then, unfortunately, it's the Mameluke himself, Frank Morano, from 1 to 5. You don't want to miss it in the morning. I'll be on with Sid Rosenberg. No, 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 we're not talking about Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. All of a sudden, picking off and leaving to Qatar because he's got to go see World Cup to see what their security is like. Hey! Schmuck, putts, what about the security in the subways, the streets, the crime is off the hook in the subways. We're going to give you a little bit of an hors d'oeuvre, not even the entree. How about dealing with the security in the subway? Oh, got to go to Qatar, got to see what the security is like, because in 2026, you know, World Cup will be in North America, NAFTA, Mexico, Canada, United States. It'll be in various cities, you know, each and every contest and the qualifying matches on the pitches. Well, is there going to be any matches in New York City, in City Field, home of the Mets? No. Uh, any matches in Yankee Stadium, home of the Yankees, and also the professional soccer league team in the offseason? No. Well... Why are you interested? The only game near us is going to be in East Rutherford, in Secaucus, in MetLife Stadium. Well, I, I got to know about the security. Who's paying for this? Eric Adams and his entire entourage going to Qatar for three days in the midst of a crime crisis. But, hey, you elected him. Now you're going to have to suffer as a result of what you decided to do. And I know a lot of you are going, I can't believe this. Well, hey, hey, you had a chance. But I'm going to be appearing with Sid Rosenberg. Not necessarily about that, because naturally he's going to be in defense of his newfound friend. But about how we're ripping off 
a hero American, Tom Sullivan, who's run for state assembly, who won that seat out in the Rockaways and Broad Channel, and I have all the inside information. That's right, Matt Blaze, how they're stealing the election from him. I've connected all the dots. I got him. Now it's up to us, the citizens, to make sure that he will be seated as the next assembly person from that area, like Lester Chang in Brooklyn. They're trying to steal the election from him. What's the matter, Democrats? You don't have enough seats. You have a supermajority in the Senate, supermajority in the state assembly in Albany. But you're so greedy, we can't give them nothing. It's a one-party system, and we're going to keep it that way, even if we have to steal elections. It's the way it is in New York State. Hey, going to connect the dots for all of you. You know, it's been all broadcasting, Curtis, all the time the last four days. I think, Matt Blaze, it's been like 48 hours. You know, people have decided, oh, I need a mental health day. Oh, oh, you know, it's, uh, can we play best of? And I say right away to management and ownership. No, no, no such thing as best of it. That's always worst of. I heard a few of those today. Worst of. The Long Island edition in the morning. I'm sitting there right after I finished the show. It's 6 o'clock. I had a great show. Six hours. I had people pumping and jumping. Comedy, music, conflating with the issues of the day. The Long Island report comes on. They're talking like two weeks before the election. I'm like, what? The election is over. Who decided that that was best of? That was worst of? And it went downhill from there. There's only John Katzmatidis who resurrected it from 8 to 10. Thank God he came on board like he does each and every every week. I kill a million. And the rest of the day, best of. It's worst of, best of, worst of. We're live and local. That's why we're the number one news talk station in the nation. Whether it's rain, snow, sleet, or shine, as you can see outside, the weather is inclement. But don't give me the excuse, oh, I'm suffering from tryptophan overdose. I had too much melatonin. I need to max and relax. My Michigash family has finally left after three days of chaos. You're not going to sleep on me because I have breaking news here. In fact, my wife Nancy, who, as you know, every Sunday joins me, in the last hour of the many hours that I do to complete the Quinella on the weekend, the Animal Welfare Hour has made a connection. You are probably seeing a story on television. In fact, it's the lead story in many of the newspapers and in the broadcast of this monster abuser of dogs, of animals. And the police did a great job at the 104th Precinct in Queens. They stopped a vehicle on Woodhaven Boulevard. And they found a Great Dane mother and her seven puppies. It was a great story. Cops did a great job. But when you learn about, well, what the hell what happened to my music? What, what, what do you think? This is the Frank Morano show, the worst side of the other side of midnight. I need to get into that groove. I need to conflate the subject. Because I'm going to get to that momentarily. I realize, Matt Blaze, this is a little difficult for you to connect the dots. <laughs> This guy, Ravon Service, we've dealt with him before, yeah. Myself and a great animal rights activist, Rob Becerra. We were in his house of horror a year ago when I was running for mayor. It was a torture chamber of dogs that he was breeding. And then when he was finally arrested, finally arrested, he came back with his family and his his homeboys, and beat the hell out of the landlord and his wife. Retaliation. 
So you would have thought he would have been locked up in perpetuity. That's right. It's over. He's back out doing the same thing. You know, it's going to be up to us, the animal rights activists, to go after him. Vigilante justice. That's right. Hey, hey, Ravon service, they're going to cut you loose. I know they're going to cut you loose. And then I personally am coming for you. You will never raise dogs again. Uh, I will Michael Vick you. Connect the dots on that, Ravon service and your homeboys. I will Michael Vick you. What Michael Vick did to his pit bull terriers, how he tortured them, how he strung them up when they were not performing at the levels that he wanted them to be fighting dogs. He hung them with piano wire. Remember that scene uh, Matt plays from The Godfather? That was actually Danny Aiello who had the piano wire on. You can tell that, Tell that to Michael. Yeah, am I going in a lot of different directions? Yeah. Yeah, I am. So I'm pissed off. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Oh, look, they took my computer terminal out of here. It was the second time. What is going on here? What is this, uh, Allied Moving Edge? I can't even find it. Hey, it doesn't matter. I'll do it to our small sis. I don't need none of Frank Morano's crew's help. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. W.A.B.C. What was that song that Vinnie Madugno was playing, I'll Be Home for Christmas? Walking around the city earlier today on Fifth Avenue, right? Fifth Avenue, Saks Fifth Avenue is all lit up like a Christmas tree. A lot of tourists going up and down Fifth Avenue. You know, all the brand name stores. And all I did was, oh, God. It was like I was getting a contact. Hi. I mean, they're puffing that. That reefer like there's no tomorrow. Like it's chimney stacks, chimney stacks. One guy had two blunts in his mouth at the same time. One out of the right side out of his mouth, the other out of the left side of his mouth, and he was torching it up as he was blowing smoke at people as they were walking by. This is right near St. Patrick's Cathedral. I looked at the police. I said, you going to do anything? Curtis, we can. Can't do anything. They had card tables out. Guys were selling reefer, nickel and dime bags, and cocaine. Where? Fifth Avenue, right outside of Pravda. Pravda? Is that Pravda? No, 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 wait. That's that's the old Soviet Union news service. <laughs> oh, my God, the city is gone to pot, right? I mean, that's the term. A city has gone to pot. There's nowhere that you can walk that you can't smell the pungent odor of somebody either inhaling it from uh, old-fashioned rolling paper or, you know, when all of a sudden they got the blunts, the spliffs, or the vape. <laughs> the vape. They were vaping everything. I always walk up to these uh, hipster millennials. What are you vaping? Oh, it's uh, it's uh. It's caramel-flavored tobacco. No, it's not. It's reefer, isn't it? Well, uh, I don't want to lie to you, Curtis. You're damn right you're not going to lie to me. It's everywhere. I'll be home for Christmas. I'm going to walk through the snow. Remember that song, right? Snow. Is that the cocaine that's being sold on the streets? (laughs) With the purple haze. Oh, my God. What's happened to the city that we love? They're playing three-card molly right outside of St. Patrick's Cathedral, the old shell game. 
They're ripping people off in Times Square. There are weed wagons. There are pop-up stores. You know, when they say, well, you know, it's been a very good uh, Black Friday. You know what the number one product that was sold? Not by Amazon, not by Walmart, not by any e-commerce. Reefer, pot, all these illegal pop-up stores. They're everywhere. Wherever there's an empty store, guy comes in. Hey, well, cash money. Hey, we just want to stay open a few months. That's it. Landlord says, well, it's been empty. What do you sell? None of your BIB business. Uh, you mean you're selling marijuana? Well, you want something? No, 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 no. I'm going to look the other way. Just give me cash, right? Cash. Close your eyes. Cash under the table. There are pop-up stores everywhere. Look at what they've done to this city of ours. And our mayor, he's abandoning shit. Where's he going? Qatar for three days. You know, if you smoke a joint in Qatar, you know what happens to you? They give you a poke and a chop. I mean, they chop your head off. And you you leave in New York City, right, where when you're taking off from JFK, you're going through the clouds. It used to be the fog. It's now the purple haze from everyone who's exhaling. And everyone else is inhaling, and they're getting stoned. Man, you know, if you were to take a drug test, you would fail, even though you never had contact with pot. Because you're, you're inhaling all this secondary smoke. It's everywhere. It's in the subways. It's in the foyers of buildings. It's like you can smell it. My God, it's coming through the cracks of your ceiling, of your walls. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me tell you something. They're finally um, giving licenses for legal dispensaries. And the whole thing is, you had to be cold busted for selling marijuana before. Uh, that's the prerequisite. But look out in Staten Island. They're proving that marijuana reefer brings people together. One of the first licenses for a business was given to a guy named Muhammad and Shlomo. I mean, we can't get Jews and Muslims together, right? Can't even get them together if we put guns to their head. But if we give them joints and we say, hey, you want to make money selling marijuana? We're in. We'll put aside our differences. Don't worry about jihad. We're making money now selling pot on Staten Island. I kid you not. The business is owned by Mohammed El Galai and Shlomo Weinstock. <laughs> Prove it. That pot marijuana brings people together. 1-800-848-9222. W-A-B-C. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Look at this smoking. Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, they're AARP, AARP rappers. Wearing Depends now, right? And they're still smoking marijuana. They got the leaf symbols on their head. Remember they used to digitalize them out when they were doing their rap songs from Long Beach in their Impala, Chevy, you know, with the hydraulics going up and down. Those degenerate gangbangers. It's Crips, I hate them. Why, why? Because they wear blue? That's what you're thinking, Matt Blaze, right? No, no, it's not a color thing. And it's not because they're black either. I just hate them. I love them. I despise them. Now, think of it, Dr. Dre, billionaire, because stupid white people buy those headphones, those Dre phones, you know, which are like knockoffs. You can buy them in a uh, 
99 cent store, right? But, you know, because Dr. J puts a label on it. Oh, wow, we're paying like $5,000. It's simple uh, headphones. Guy's a billionaire now. Snoop is approaching being a billionaire. They let him make cartoons while he's smoking blunts. Can you believe that? Meantime, he has women down on all fours with a dog collar around their neck. Oh, well, you know, that's Snoop. Well, what can we say? Oh, man. By the way, let's look at those states around us that have legalized the recreational use of uh, marijuana. There's Vermont and Connecticut. Now, you would think Vermont, very liberal, right? State of Bernie, the Altacaca Sanders, the state of Ben and Jerry's, a state where a lot of New Yorkers have fled who are liberal and progressive. If they're not, they go to Florida, right? But isn't it interesting? You could have your pot plants in Vermont. Nobody can touch you. But you can also have your guns because it's a Second Amendment state. Now, how do the liberals and progressives jive with that? You can have your gun, but you can also have your pot while you're eating your Ben and Jerry's ice cream that hates Israel and loves the Palestinians. Isn't that a hell of a country? And you see, that's what happens when there's too much THC in your marijuana. Well, in Connecticut and Vermont, they do it right. They limit the amount of THC. They call it the potency cap. New York, which finally, a dollar short day late, has followed all the others, has decided that, oh, you want 95% pure potency? 95% when you go into one of their licensed pot shops. You know how strong that is? Oh, my God. They don't even allow you to do that in Vermont or Connecticut. They have limitations. But then again, New York, we think we're so omnipotent, pretentious. We do it better than anyone else. Jersey pretty much legalized the recreational use of uh, pot at the time that Shamu El Jefe, Chris Christie, was sailing towards uh, Wildwood and leaving leaving the uh, governor's mansion uh, in Drumthwacket. And he keeps going up and down, you know, up and down the Jersey Shore. But it's legal in Jersey. They have 24 dispensaries open already that are licensed to do business. So far, from what I can see from looking across the Hudson River, they've had a few problems, but nothing like New York. We don't even have one license yet. And the first license, you know, everything has to be so politically correct, was issued to Shlomo and Muhammad out in Staten Island, you know, to show that people can get together over pot. Meantime, Sean Puff Daddy Combs, who's almost a billionaire, you know, from uh, P. Diddy Academy, better known as Mount St. Michael's in the Bronx, He's investing, but he never was busted for pot before. He didn't bring in uh, weight, bales. He wasn't selling nickel or dime bags that we know of. Yet he's going to get licenses. Who did he grease, right? Oh, my God. This is a horror. This is a horror. Now, look, in New York State, from Buffalo to Brooklyn, 1,522 communities opted out of allowing a dispensary in their community. That means they're not entitled to make any of the money off the taxes. If you allow a dispensary in your town, your village, your borough, you get a little piece of the action. But meantime, they're going to be driving into other communities to make their purchase. Like, you look at uh, towns like Riverhead out in South uh, Suffolk County, you know, when you're on your way to the Fork. Oh, my God, the regulations of where they're going to allow a dispensary are mind-boggling. It's probably right in the middle of the lake. 
But somehow, some way, they claim that they're going to get this all together. And I have no faith in New York State that they're going to be able to do it without people getting greased and without people getting paid off under the table because the black market is thriving. And the reason that the black market will survive any legalization is there's no taxes involved. And, yes, they have Grubhub. They'll deliver right to your door. You order, oh, yeah, we'll deliver right there. It's like the Pope of Greenwich Village. Yeah, the guy, he's on his Schwinn, big chief bicycle. He'll be there right away. And no taxes. And, by the way, they offer you credit. It's like bookies. They'll offer, like Shylocks, they'll offer you credit. The state dispensaries don't do that, and they'll hit you with such a heavy tax that you continue to go to your vendors who are selling it now in the black market. We learned that from California. We learned that from Colorado. But then again, New York State officials never learn anyone else's problems because we're too smart. We're too bright. This is New York. We do it better than everyone else. Wrong. By the way, can I hear our mayor? Because, you know, our mayor, you would think he would be out there saying, this is not good for tourism, that they come in and they're walking around and they're inhaling a purple haze. One of my best gifts, as you know, marijuana is legal. I have raw. I did not know. I have raw. I am not aware, Mr. Mayor. I'm not into that scene. I have bamboo. Oh, it's big. And I can't give you this gift. I'll give it to you later. You know, (laughs) that's the mayor of the city of New York. He had just been elected with Stephen Colbert. Then a few months later, he's in Times Square. You got what you wanted. Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. One thing for sure, one law that was passed is clearly being practiced right now because I smell some weed. Someone is smoking. (laughs) Someone is smoking. (laughs) Where did he get that laugh from? I mean, it's not a laughable matter. It's like you're going, Stephen Colbert, you just got elected, right? Just got elected. You're giving him a nickel and dime bag. And even Stephen Colbert, who probably does puff puff pass in his mansion in New Jersey, knows, no, I'm not accepting it. I'm not. No, no, take it. No, 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 no. The whole world is watching it. Oh, come to New York, and the mayor is giving you free marijuana. Not only that, if you're an illegal in Venezuela, come to New York, you not only get free marijuana. You get free food. You get three hots in a cot. You get to stay at the Watson Hotel. You know what they're charging us for the illegal aliens now? Because it's the holiday season. They're gouging. $848 a night for a room. $848 for a night. Now, who's paying for that? Eric Adams? No. Uh, Joe Biden? No. Chuck Schumer? No. Kathy Crimewave Holcomb? No. Us. Suckers. Us. And now they're coming in from Venezuela saying, yeah, man, the, pre- the mayor's giving you nickel and dime bags, too, plus rolling paper. Can, can I hear that, uh, that comment he made in Times Square? Remember, he's got big signs up that says, no guns. This is a no-gun zone. But it's clearly a purple haze zone. One thing for sure, one law that was passed is clearly being practiced right now because I smell some weed. Someone is smoking. (laughs) Someone is smoking. (laughs) You know what it was? 
he had done his press conference, and you know, all serious, you know, and you're inhaling, not realizing you're getting the secondary smoke. He got a little goofy there, right? That's what you get, you know, when you smell, smoke too much reefer, you get shotgun, the secondary reefer. You get a little goofy. You think he likes that, walking through the streets of the city and getting a little goofy? Do you think our, our callers like that when they visit or when they work here, those who decide to come in here and work? I mean, it's everywhere. Subways, foyers, buildings, walk into a store. There's a guy who was trying to get a Slurpee the other day in a 7-Eleven. He's vaping right there. Hey, hey, pow. You know, like outside. Why? It's legal. I don't want to think that. Good. Hey, you see the counter? Take his foot. Bam! But, you know, smoke the reefer because you won't feel the pain. See, I, this is the way I would do things, right? Like Curtis Lewis style. Hey, you see that counter? Oh, yeah, I see it right there. You want to look at it closer? Bang! And they get a big lump on his forehead. Go ahead, keep puffing. You won't feel any pain because isn't that what NFL players do after a game? You know, instead of jumping into the whirlpool, instead of drinking whiskey, they go puff, puff, pass. Yeah, but don't worry about it. The pain will go away, trust me. 1-800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 W.A.B.C. W.A.B.C. The founder of the Guardian Angels. The group dedicated to fight crime. On the streets of New York and on the air right now. Curtis Lewa on 77 W.A.B.C. Even you would, Matt Blaze. Probably not Ken, the telephone talent coordinator. He's a stunard. And Alex, your producer, he's into freaky deaky music. This, Purple Haze, right? Jimi Hendrix. Now, interesting, if he had been alive, it would be uh, Jimi Hendrix's 80th birthday this weekend. Unfortunately, he was part of the 27 Club. When we were growing up, all of these great performers died at the age of 27. Way too early. So we had Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Brian Jones, and to me, the one that hurt the most, Jim Morrison of the Doors. But I got to tell you, it's Machiavelli. Jim Morrison is alive. He is alive. But I got to tell you a little about Jimi Hendrix, right? Black guy uh, comes out of Seattle, goes down to uh, Nashville, Memphis, tries to make it there. He's playing with the Isley Brothers. They say, see you later. Little Richard, right? He said, man, that's a little, talking about a little too freaky deaky for him. Little Richard was getting a little too comfortable with him. So he decided, I'm out of here. And then he went over to England. And that's where he came up with Hey Joe, Purple Haze, The Wind Cries Mary, all those great songs. But he had a tough time. And I don't think it was just because he was black. It was the style of the way he played his guitar. So 
the Rolling Stones manager listens to him, right? He does his solos, his tremendous guitar playing. He goes, nah, you're never going to make it in this business. What? (laughs) Then he's finally the opening act in America at the Forest Hills Tennis Stadium, opening act for the Monkees, who were the number one group in America. They were ahead of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. So Jimi Hendrix gets up on that stage. He starts doing his guitar licks. And guess what? The crowd starts booing, throwing stuff at him. Get off the stage. We want the monkeys. He's like, oh, my God. What do I got to do? And then by 1969, just a few years later, he was the highest paid rock star in the world. Soon to die of an overdose. They believe that it was um, Bob Ichowitz. He had like 13, a handful, and he choked on his own vomit. Oh, my God. He died there in London in Kensington. Um, he was brought back to Seattle, buried there in Seattle, not far from where Bruce Lee was buried. We're going to talk about him in the next hour because you talk about an iconic figure. There was no bigger figure at that time in terms of movie prowess than Bruce Lee. I mean, think of it. How many black, Hispanic, white kids did you see all of a sudden with kung fu pants, kung fu jackets, and kung fu slippers going, whoa, whoa, even geeks. Even geeks would have a big picture of Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was not that big. He's like 5'8", 140 pounds. But, man, he exuded machismo. I don't think they would allow him in the movies today. They would say he's a sexist, he's a misogynist, you know, he, he... perpetuates an image of what males should not be. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. It's my stream of consciousness. It's theater of the mind. It's all Curtis Lewa all the time. Let's go to the phones here, and it's uh, it's actually Sammy calling from Howard Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sammy. Hey, belated happy Thanksgiving. Yes, Sammy. Yep. Well, anyway, you know, you, you talk about the mayor going you going to uh, the World Cup. Now, is he doing this under the guise that in 2026 he's going to hire his good buddy, Sid Rosenberg, to be, you know, because he is our resident sports expert, to be involved? It could be. I'm going to be on with Sid at 7.05 in the morning. I'll ask him that. But you see, Sammy, he's assuming he's going to get elected to a second term. Like his hero, David Dinkins, it was one term and out. So if, in fact, he's only elected to one term, he's out in 2025, he won't even be around for World Cup. Yeah, well, that would be a great thing. It'd be a great thing if if all these agencies you've notified uh, get him out maybe in 2023. Well, we will see. I have certainly alerted the Department of Investigation of the City of New York, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who turns the criminals loose, U.S. Attorney for the Southern District, U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District, about his propensity to hire cronies, like his most recent hire, <laughs> who he shacked up with 2013 and 2017, and all of a sudden, Lo and behold, she's the deputy commissioner of the police department at $241,000 a year. What are her credentials? 
Oh, she's a friend with benefits. Eh, his complexion is his protection. He can do that, right? You think a white guy could get away with that? De Blasio would never have been able to get away. The press would have been all over him. And now all of a sudden, in the midst of this um, <clears throat> this time of great corruption that is emerging from the Adams administration, he has decided, I must go to Qatar to learn about security at World Cup about security in the subways, about security in the streets. Mm. It ain't going anywhere. I'll I'll come back to it. It'll be just as bad as when I left. Probably worse. Oh, boy. Let's go to Glenn in Hillside. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Glenn. Well, Curtis, uh, Sylvester Stallone has a new series that just started uh, called Tulsa Tulsa King. He's been in uh, he's been in prison for the last 26 years. He comes back uh, to New York City, and he was a cop out with the family. And they said, "We don't have anything for you here anymore, but you can go out to Tulsa and start anything you want." So there's not much for him to do. So he takes him up on the offer. He goes out there and uh, gets in a cab from the airport, and they're passing a uh, marijuana store, and he. He says, stop, stop to the cab driver. And he doesn't realize that marijuana is now legal. <laughs> and uh, he goes in there and uh, roughs the guy up and says, I'll take 20, uh, 20% of your daily take uh, for, uh, I'll give you protection against the feds. Otherwise, they'll clean you out. So uh, that's that's the premise. Is that, uh, now, 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 Glenn, Glenn, is this man so desperate for parts that he is now a capo from an organized crime family in New York who's operating in Tulsa and shaking down recreational legal marijuana stores for 20% and probably coming outside and then going, Adrian, Adrian, it was so much better when I was Rocky. Adrian, help me. Oh, my God. This well, guy- Curtis, actually, Curtis, actually what, what he did do to help the guys that has the legal store, he says, who's your supplier? So they go to the grower, and he shakes them down, and he gets it for a much cheaper price than the, the store owner has been buying it for. So the store owner is going to actually be making more money, even giving him Glenn, 20%. Glenn, uh, you must have a lot of time on your hands to be watching a series with a broken-down actor who, if he gets another facelift, his face will snap like an old rubber band. Glenn, do yourself a solid. Spare yourself. Uh, Banano crime family capo goes to Tulsa. We don't have any room for you here. I mean, I remember when he was in Copland, right? Now, that's plausible. All the corruption across the Hudson River in the small towns. Englewood, Englewood Cliffs, Cliffside Park, Palisades Park, swings all day and after dark. I get it. I know the corruption. In fact, the lawyer for the Guardian Angels, Mario Kranjak, is the mayor of Cliffside Park. He's had to battle a corrupt police department ever since he was elected as a Republican. But Now, that's plausible, Copland, right? Going as a capo to Tulsa, boy, his career is like at the end. At the end. This is the end. Italian organized crime in Tulsa. In Tulsa, they think... They think that Olive Garden is an Italian restaurant. 
Oh, man, we got to go to Olive Garden, load up the pickup truck with the rebel flag, the stars and bars, the flag of treason, the shotgun in the rack. We're going to get some extra baskets of of breadsticks. We're going to Olive Garden. They really think that's an Italian restaurant. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Mo who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mo. Hey, Chris. Mo, 18-year-old from Kew Gardens. Um, first of all, first of all, I come from, where I come from in Kew Gardens, I'm a black away from Jamaica, so I grew up with crime. So I'm not really scared of crime this day, though. It's getting horrendous, and I'm starting to get a little scared. One thing I'm really scared about is when I walk outside, I have to get high every single time because when I smell weed, I'm pop all day. It's disgusting. That's first of all. Second of all, what right does Eric Gannon's mayor have to go to KDOT to, 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 to learn security? Didn't he run on the fact that he's a police officer and he can run and he knows how to do security in the streets? He has to go somewhere else to learn how to do security? Uh, you see, Mo, you're starting to learn that you can't believe that narrative. He was a police officer for 22 years, NYPD, 10 in transit, 12 with NYPD. But he was a house mouse. Most of the time he was assigned to the precinct. He really never really patrolled. He really doesn't have a strong sense the way a police department should run when it's cracking down crime. And he always represented the people wanting to sue the police because they were actually active cops. They, they called them cowboy cops, but they were active cops. Without active cops, you have crime that surges, surges in the city. And that's what we're seeing right now. And you see, Mo, he sold everyone a false bill of goods. And Mo, all of you out there, you're going to have to suffer. You had a choice. I said I was a law and order candidate. You rejected that. Not everyone. You know, I got about... Uh, 28% of the vote. Lee Zeldin, in comparison, got 30% of the vote in the five boroughs. But clearly a lot of people didn't vote for me because they say, you know, you're a nice guy, Curtis. We like you. But uh, he was a police officer for 22 years. Well, I'll bet you he made a lot of collars, didn't he? None. Look at the latest stats that just came out today. Felony surged 40% on the New York City subways. And that's with all these cops supposedly flooding the system on triple overtime. Remember right before the election of November 8th, Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb and uh, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, took the political smelling sauce and realized we could lose on the crime issue. So we got to throw the cops in the system so they can be seen everywhere right before the election. So people will say, aha, you see, they're responding to us. And like schmucks and putzes, we're going to flock and we're going to say, yes, Kathy is no longer crime wave hokum and Eric Adams is the law and order mayor instead of presiding over chaos and anarchy. The cops are in the system and it's not working. It's not working. Look, did you see the video of the twice stabbed New York City strap hanger 34th Street and Herald Square on the platform? The tourists, right? We want them to come. We're not talking in the outer boroughs. And you know what was over? A guy came up to another guy and said, hey, I see you got Newports there. Newports, that's like currency. You know, it's like <laughs> you're in jail. You got Newports. That's $5 a cigarette, right? Not a dollar for a Lucy. That's $5. That's a menthol. Guy said, no, I'm not giving you none of my Newport menthols. So the other guy says, oh, okay, pulls out a knife. <laughs> 
It's like he's doing a commercial for a Ginzu knife. He leads the guy to bleed out there. Did they catch him? No. He got away. Of course, it's New York City. By the way, uh, the new police presence in the subways is not making the MTA workers feel any safer. They're forced to be there. They would see them and feel the effects if anybody felt the effects. And then they have these two raven hair beauties. Upon looking uh, at forensic detail of the videos, I was wrong earlier in the day. I assumed they were African-Americans. They're gypsies. Yeah, oh, can't say that. Roma people, oh, can't say that. They're pickpockets and jostlers. So these two women have raven hair. Where did they pickpocket and jostle? On one of the busiest platforms in the city, Atlantic Avenue, Barclay Center. So they take a woman, they bump her. And they pickpocket her, and they go in different directions, and she's looking all around going, help, help, help. Hundreds of people, uh, it's not my job, nothing I can do. Could I film you so it'll be live at 5? Here, I got my cell phone, my smartphone. I'll, I'll do something. Could you stop them? No, not my job. You would think there'd be cops, right, at Atlantic Avenue, Barclays Center? Nothing, bubkis, who gods. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Ann, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABCN. Hi, Curtis. <clears throat> I'm sorry to keep you off the track of uh, asking you a question. It has nothing to do with the alleged mayor that we have, uh, I, whose guts I hate. But a few weeks ago, you mentioned something about where Houdini was buried in East New York, Brooklyn. And I lived in that neighborhood for at least 19 years. I, I was born and raised there. Where is it? I, I, I never knew that. And, learned- and like, Karn- like Karnak the Magnificent, I'm going to put the envelope to my head. I'm hitting my medulla and cerebellum. Remember how Johnny Carson used to do Karnak the Magnificent? You know, he would guess what was in the envelope. Let's guess what's in my mind. You say Harry Houdini, the illusionist. Here's a guy. You could turn him upside down. You could chain and shackle him. You could drop him into the Hudson River while he's in a straitjacket and handcuffed. And voila, in a few minutes, he's extricated himself. The greatest escape artist of all time. So now he was doing a show. And he was on his way to Milwaukee on a train. Because back then, no planes. They're doing trains. And all of a sudden, a guy comes up to him and says, oh, you're a tough guy because he would always ask the audience to punch him in his solar plexus. I can't even find my solar plexus, but apparently he knew where they were. And he didn't have a chance to tighten up. And the guy really, like, hit him. Unbeknownst to him, he was undergoing an appendicitis attack. He hadn't felt the effects yet. The punch exacerbated it. So he's on the train. He gets to Milwaukee. He does the show. And afterwards, they had to carry him to his uh, hotel in downtown Milwaukee. And he died from internal bleeding. So they brought him back to New York, right along City Line Avenue. They had the long entourage. They brought him up the hill behind Franklin K. Lane High School. You know what Franklin K. Lane stands for, the acronym man? Well, my brother went there. I know. <laughs> Fun, kicks, laughs, and no education. Uh, so on one side, as you mentioned, is East New York. On the other side is Woodhaven. So there's a Jewish cemetery right behind. I forget the name of it. 
right behind Franklin K. Lane. And there's a, a monument, not a mausoleum, but a monument he's buried underneath. And every year, magicians, illusionists would come on Halloween and they would wave their magic wands at like 128, which was the time of his death. And this year, the security for the cemetery said, uh, the cemetery is in disrepair. You can't do it, which I, te- I felt was a Shanda. So do you know where the Harry Houdini museum is? Do you have any idea, Ann? No, I, I, like I said, I lived in East New York. I was born and raised there. I didn't even know that. But then you know everything, so that's why I'm asking you. Well, if I knew everything, I wouldn't have gotten into all the trouble that I got into in my life. But let's just say I'm trying to make up for lost time. The Harry Houdini Museum, believe it or not, is in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Why Scranton, Pennsylvania? I have no idea. So all the wizards, wickers, illusionists, uh, uh, magicians, uh, people who do card tricks, they all went to Scranton. And this year, at like 128, they had this ceremony at the Scranton, Pennsylvania Museum for Harry Houdini, the greatest illusionist escape artist of all time. In fact, if uh, the Amazing Randy, Amazing Randy was a guy who would cold bust those that would bend spoons and do tricks that, in fact, were not tricks. He would explain to you. He would explain how it was done. He would never have been able to do that with Harry Houdini, no matter how many times that he appeared with Johnny Carson or Sonny Fox on Wonderama. Uh, the Amazing Randy was the guy who told us how these tricks were done. Nobody to this day has figured out Imagine this, right near the Queensboro Bridge, a.k.a. the 59th Street Bridge, a.k.a. the Ed K. Ed Koch Bridge. Why does that bridge have three names? They hung Harry Houdini up with a crane. He's in a straitjacket. He's handcuffed. They put a, a mask over his head. He can barely breathe. They lower him into the Hudson River. You figure he's drowning, right? There's no way he escaped. He escaped from that. And nobody ever figured out how the hell he could do that. Nice Jewish boy. Let me tell you the sad part of the story. He had a beautiful wife who traveled with him all over the country. She was a Gentile. When she eventually died, and she was really heartbroken, they had a great love life, a great life together. Her family would not allow her to be interned, buried in the Jewish cemetery next to her husband. I think she's buried in some Christian cemetery up in Westchester. Can you believe that? You know what they ought to do. Her last wish and desire was that she be buried at the side of her husband, Harry Houdini. I think it's incumbent. I'm sure her parents are are dead now, right? You You think that's a pretty good guess? They'd be like 450 now. Let's exhume her body, transport it, bury it next to her husband that she loved so much and he loved her, and fulfill that wish that she had to be united with her husband in that cemetery. There's enough of this nonsense. Oh, he's Jewish. He can't be buried in that cemetery, and vice versa. Enough of that. Enough of that. Let's go, if we can, to um, Susan, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Susan. Okay. Uh, there's two different. Number one, 
the um, those clips you paid of um, our current mayor when he was uh, laughing about the uh, giving the weed to um, Stephen and, Colbert. And the, Stephen Colbert. Yeah. Um, what's so funny about that? I, I don't get it. Um, as well as. All these kids, you see 12, 13-year-olds all around the city, they don't even shave, and they're smoking whatever they're smoking. Um, and they're, couldn't they at least be, like, given some kind of a ticket where, okay, you have to go through some kind of a education about what this is doing to you? Um, I mean, just to make it like this is normal is – is a travesty. Besides the fact that they're not even getting any education in the public schools, and he's saying nothing about charter schools, nothing about education reform, which disproportionately is a tragedy for um, his, uh, you know, the minority community. Well, Susan, two, Susan, let's do this. Let's not have the schools teach you about the dangers of marijuana. Remember, they gave us sex education, where they taught us how to put condoms on Chiquita bananas. Wow, that really helped stop the spread of sexually transmitted diseases and stop unwanted pregnancies. I don't think the schools did a very good job. I don't think we want the schools educating children about the dangers of marijuana. Remember, we had that the D.A.R.E. program, remember? Officer Joe Bolton would come in. That's right, I'm here with McGruff, the crime-fighting dog. Let me tell you something, the dangers of marijuana. And then they would be like Sergeant Joe Friday in Dragnet. They would tell you that you would have a drug-induced psychosis. You would end up in an insane asylum. You would be vomiting your, you know, your, your whatever you had in your stomach out. It, 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 I mean, he embellished it to the point where where teenagers would be at home smoking joints, laughing at Sergeant Joe Friday as he'd be telling them about the dangers of marijuana. The sex education, the way they taught it, didn't work. The D.A.R.E. program, you know, with Sergeant Joe Bolton. I have McGruff, the crime-fighting dog here. That didn't work. Parents don't want to deal with it. They run from those responsibilities. I think it's incumbent upon us to figure out a much better way, but the best way is... Do as I say and as I do, because they look to the adults. WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little. They fought with expert timing. There were funky Chinamen from funky Chinatown. They were chopping them up. They were chopping them down. It's an ancient Chinese art, and everybody knew their part. From a fainting to a skip, and a kicking from the hip, everybody was kung fu fighting. You do realize, uh... Mad Blaze, 
on loan from the worst side of the other side of midnight, the Frank Morano Show. He'll be in here. Yeah, His Highness will arrive at some point to be on with all of you 1 to 5. It starts Monday through Friday. But you notice in the song Kung Fu Fighting, he goes, China men. You would not be able to say that any longer. You know, you wouldn't be able to say Oriental men. Nope. Nope. Yeah, you just play these songs and you realize there are so many terms that were so common to us. In fact, I used to use the term when talking about talk radio. No ticky, no washy, no talky. Right? And they said, oh, you know, that's anti-Asian, that's anti-Chinese. Excuse me, I, I won the Chinese-American vote running for mayor, first Republican ever to do that. I have more guardian angel patrols in Asian areas to stop Asian hate and Asian hate crime than anybody else in the world. Can't use that term. Or as my wife says, why do you use the term, oh, he came up behind me and japped me? You know, that's pejorative. Hey, that's the way I grew up. It's not an offensive term. Then again, if you happen to be a baby boomer, how many of the terms we used in growing up that were not at all meant to be negative are now considered passe composé and would get us in trouble with the woke crowd, right? Oh, oh, my God. Let's see. You're a racist. You're xenophobic. You're sexist, misogynist. You know, whatever uh, they could throw at you. Oh, and homophobic, too. You know what's the... What does that have to do with Kung Fu Fight? doesn't matter because you're probably a homophobe also. Do you not recognize that a person at any given moment can identify as being one of 72 genders or having one of 72 different sexual identities at any given moment of the day, any hour, any day, any week, any month, and you must respect that? No, I, I don't believe in that. You know, you mean you could be asexual today. That means you don't have sex. But tomorrow, you're polyamorous, which means you have sex with everyone. And I have to accept whatever you decide you are the day, that day, whether you got up on the wrong side of the bed or not. By the way, I never quite understood that term, the wrong side of the bed. Can anybody out there explain that to me? How do you know what the wrong side of the bed is? Obviously, if you roll over and you're with your wife or your gumada or your one-night stand, that's the wrong side of the bed because they start screaming, get on your side! What do they mean by you got up on the wrong side of the bed? I never understood that. And yet people repeat it like parrots. And if you ask them, you say, well, what do you mean you got up on the wrong side of the bed? Where is the origin of that? What does it mean? Is that where the bed bugs are? Is that where you have to get the beagle? What's his name? Rollo. Hey, where's Rollo? Whatever the hell the beagle comes in and then they bring in flamethrowers and get rid of the bed, bed bugs and they melt everything in your apartment. But there's one positive thing about that. You don't have bed bugs anymore. You don't have anything anymore. Can anybody out there explain to me what it means to get up on the wrong side of the bed? 1-800-84-RAY-9222. That's 1-800-84-RAY-WABC. We got to talk about Bruce Lee because if he were alive, he would have been 82 this weekend. And I have never seen anybody 
come out of nowhere to suddenly dominate the big cinema in a way where his mere presence on the big screen, acting with his personality, obviously you could clearly see he was Chinese, great martial artist, so influenced an entire generation of young men and some young women. We don't have that any longer. The martial arts world hopes that another Bruce Lee would come along because more martial arts uh, schools opened up. More martial arts <coughs> products were being spent on. And there were more people who emerged from the martial arts world to eventually become wannabe Bruce Lees on the big screen. It was a tidal wave of interest. I'm telling you, there was that time in the early 70s where you could walk down on a block. On one side, all the black guys were wearing the black pajama pants, you know, of kung fu guys with the slippers and the kung fu jackets. And then on the other side, there were the Puerto Rican guys wearing exactly the same. And on the other side, all the white guys. And you say, where did you get that? Oh, Chinatown. Oh, when we were there, we also got Tiger Bomb. The smelliest stuff you'd ever want to know. Oh, this is better than Ben Gay. You know, because when I'm doing my workouts, whoa, 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 I got to take a bath in Tiger Bomb. And the Chinese knew that in Chinatown. They could see the howlies coming, the white boys, the blacks and Hispanics. And you want to, they overcharge the hell out of them. You want to be like Bruce Lee? <laughs> Buy this direct from Hong Kong. And the schmucks, how much? Oh, I don't have enough this week when I come back from my job at Burger King. Can I put that on layaway? We don't have layaway. Buy it now or it'll be gone next week. And this guy had a series of movies that were phenomenal. Game of Death, I'll never forget that. I'm sitting there in the Flicks, 42nd Street, you know, Game of Death. All the brothers are there because the villain was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a.k.a. Luau Cinder. The guy's like 7'2", 290 pounds. His Bruce Lee's 5'8", 140 pounds. And they're fighting to the death. Oh, I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. It was great. How many of you remember that? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then what was it? Oh, that final scene. Remember in The Way of the Dragon? They're in the Roman Coliseum, right? There's Bruce Lee. You know, never had the shirt on. You know, he had to be flexing. And who walks in? The ultimate... One of the toughest white boys to ever live. Texas Ranger himself, Chuck Norris. And they must have sparred there and fought for like nine hours, right? And it was engaging. And all the brothers were in the audience in 42nd Street in the flick saying, Shoot him! Shoot him! You're not going to be able to take out Bruce Lee. Just take out a gun, white boy. Shoot him! And sometimes they pull out their nine and shoot the movie screen. And then everybody would be running outside. Ah, can we get our money back? No. And then, uh, what's the other one? Enter the Dragon. Oh, yeah, Enter the Dragon with Jim Kelly. Black Belt Jones. Street of Hard Way. See, a lot of brothers said, you know, they never really, they never really did right by Jim Black Belt Kelly, man. He was... He was as good, if not better, than Bruce Lee. And I'd say, what? And then they'd start that nonsense. Yeah, do you know it's the Nubian peoples from uh, <clears throat> the Sudan who went to Egypt who invented martial arts 400 years before Christ. 
What? Yeah, did you know that? No, no, I never I really didn't. I, I haven't seen any movies showing that, to be honest. I see Shaolin monks, you know. I see Run Run Shaw. I see these people who are like 152 years old jumping up in the air 500 feet, doing flips, reverse punches, reverse kicks, axe kicks. Uh, I didn't see any Nubian people doing Yeah, yeah, we invented martial arts. Sure you did. Well, what the hell? Am I going to start a fight with all the brothers in the theater there on 42nd Street, Times Square? I was outnumbered. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then probably the biggest mystery, other than who killed JFK with the anniversary of his shooting, is how did Bruce Lee die? I think he died at 32. They came up with a conclusion recently that he drank too much water. And I'm saying, well, then Tom Brady should have been dead and buried. Isn't that this whole shtick? You know, I drink like 92 gallons of water a day. We're going to get into that momentarily because there are a lot of theories as to what took the life of Bruce Lee at such an early age. Like Hendrix, right? 27, Jim Morrison, 27. Janis Joplin, 27. Bruce Lee, 32. Man, it was like something going on back then. That people were dropping at such an early age. And by the way, TT, one of the big uh, purveyors of cryptocurrency Ponzi schemes, Bitcoin bandits and blockchain uh, criminals in Hong Kong, died in his sleep. We really believe he died in his sleep? Come on. You know what's happening with the Bitcoin business. It's survival of the fittest now. It's Darwinian. These guys are going to have their throats slit in the middle of the night while they're sleeping because it's all about ripping people off. And if you're standing in their way, you become a speed bump. A 30-year-old kid in Hong Kong dies in his sleep who owned like a $10 billion cryptocurrency empire. I'm supposed to believe that. Autopsy, no drugs, no alcohol abuse. How about somebody came in like in the scene of The Godfather and put a pillow over his head? (laughs) Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to David, who's calling from Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. David? I was wondering about uh, um, what... They're waking up on the wrong side of the bed. I think I know the answer. No, no, no hold on uh, a second. Oh, hold on. Let me ask you a question because my sense is you're talking about an orthodox bed. I'm talking about an unorthodox bed. So, uh, it, well, it's you're wondering from where it comes from. It comes from that orthodox um, tradition that you, you're going to sleep on the left side and you're waking up on your left side and you're waking up on your right side. Which means if you if, if your bed is not at the wall, when you're waking up on the left side instead of the right side, you're on the wrong side of the bed. David, you have me completely confused. I now have vertigo. But I was on to it, right? Could tell he was orthodox, right? And I'm a Gentile, so what would I know? Hashem must tell him you... You don't get up on the wrong side of the bed. Now, where is the wrong side of the bed, ladies and gentlemen? I mean, let's face it. I've slept on the floor. Does that, does that apply? 
I got up on the wrong side of the floor. I had like two hours of sleep. I was sleeping on the floor. Is there a wrong side of the floor too? Wrong side of the desk? Wrong side of the street when you see homeless people sleeping? Or what about on the subway cars, you know, when they're sleeping on the seat and you want to sit and they're like taking up four or five seats? Do you tell them you're sleeping on the wrong side of the seat when you get up? And what does that mean? We say it like David says it because he believes Hashem commanded him to not get up on the wrong side of the bed. But if if Hashem is not talking to you, because I guess my pipeline is turned off to Hashem, you know, I'm a Gentile. Jesus doesn't talk to me either. None of them talk to me. How would I know what the wrong side of the bed is? Does it mean bed bugs? Doesn't mean that somebody stuffed some scato in the bed mattress, you know, they're hiding their money. Like a lot of immigrants do. We don't trust banks. My grandfather, Fidel Abianguino, he came, right? He couldn't read, he couldn't write. He didn't have uh, one lira when he came over from Italy. But he said, one yon, fateli fate too. I don't put money in the banks, I don't trust the bank. I said, where do you put the money? in the Medaglia d'Oro can, and then I bury it next to the fig tree. And if I'm ever missing money out of there, I'll know who to come for. I didn't want to know that secret, you know, because all of a sudden, you know, all my uncles, they knew their father, my grandfather, would bury his money next to the fig tree in the Medaglia d'Oro can, you know. So if they all of a sudden... It was Uncle Ralphie. He was a degenerate gambler. If all of a sudden he was digging for the Medallia d'Oro can and it was missing, who would get blamed? One yon. Hey, And I'd be running for the hills. Hmm. What does it mean to get up on the wrong side of the bed? I still I haven't. It's, it's really affecting my mindset if I, I don't come away and understanding this. My life will not be the same when I hit 69. If I haven't figured this one out, life has just been a waste. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Tony, who's calling from Clifton, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Tone. Hi, my friend Curtis. How is your tooth feeling? My tooth, well, I used my own homemade remedies. I keep with me at WABC, since I broadcast so much, a Felix the Cat bag of medicinal tricks. Most of them, Tony, are illegal. Years ago, you could uh, could have gotten about two to five years with the painkillers that sometimes I'll use in order to get through a program. So I have another question for you, though. One of the things is if you meet with me or Adam. Now, Tony, what, Tony, what you must do, you're sounding muffled. You must get closer to the phone. Try Here it. Here I am. Oh, you're, that's so much better, Tony. Now, um, now you have clarity. Now I don't hear you sort of bouncing off the woofers and tweeters. Now <laughs> I can understand who Tony is in Clifton. You see, before yeah. before Tony, I thought you were a guy. To be honest with you, you, you you had dulcet tones because you had me on the freaking conference line. <laughs> so listen. So are you still going to be meeting with um, Mayor Adams? Well, 
You must listen tomorrow, 7.05 in the morning when I join Sid, because he claims that the sit-down is organized for the night of December 14th. He said on the airwaves, keep your calendar open, there will be a four-way sit-down. Obviously, Sid, uh, who has done the shit-ock, he's organized this, Mayor Eric yeah. Adams, former Mayor Rudy Giuliani, Mike Kumbadicic, and me. I cannot for the life of me think that that's at all possible since I have just served papers on the mayor with four different investigative agencies. And if it does come about, I'm warning everybody, I'm coming with a wire. It's called a rectal wire. You would never be able to find it as I get wired up like a Christmas tree. So I don't want to mess up your maneuvers, but I did have a request. And I don't know Trust me, this ma- this maneuver of placing a rectal wire in my anatomy <laughs> will be very difficult because when I'm sitting there, I'm not going to be able to move. So what I wanted to ask you, though, and I'll make it quick, is I'd love to see um, Mayor Adams get a challenge, either spend one night in a subway, one night at Rikers Island, or have one of the transgenders transgenders come and read him all day long to all his staff uh, stories for from children's stories. No, no, um, no, no, no. You see, see, Tony, you lead me into something. For the fourth time, I've been dissed and dismissed by Frank Morano, the Mama Luke. I and my crew, the better side of the other side of midnight, was not invited to the birthday party of young Carmine. We actually announced it when the birth, the Immaculate Conception, was taking place here on the airwaves because Frank had run off to the hospital to be with his lovely wife, Rachel. You had a midwife, a 92-year-old nun coming from Mount Laredo, uh, Jimmy, uh, excuse me, uh, Vinny Ignizio, director at that time of Mount Laredo, dispatched the 92-year-old nun to help Nurse Ratchet at Port Richmond Hospital deliver uh, young Carmine 15 pounds. That's an enormous baby. I, mean, I was 13 pounds, and my mother, Francesca, was only 5'2", 118 pounds. You can imagine. So we announced it on the airwaves. We were the first to announce it, I thought for sure. I would have been invited to the christening, the baptism. I'm still waiting for the invitation. He had a barbecue for hundreds over the summer. It was basically Curtis and your crew need not apply. Your persona non grata. And I thought for sure we'd be invited to the birthday party like his own crew of misfits on the worst side of the other side of midnight. So this will be my revenge because Frank has said over and over, and you can hear him at one this morning at five the rest of the week. His biggest problem in life is he can't say no. Right, Matt Blaze, you've heard him. I can't say no. So I and Avery and Bill Lee and Rudy Giuliani, who has dressed up in drag on two other occasions, we know that, right, Saturday Night Live, and the Inner, Cir- inner Circle performance reporters when they roast the mayor, total drag. We're going to come over, and for the benefit of Carmine, when he goes to sleep at 7, Rudy is going to read him bedtime stories as a drag queen. This way to put him to sleep so that the young little Carmine doesn't have to take melatonin. The only other way to get him to go to sleep would be to listen to uh, the podcast of his father, 
And I'm telling you, within two minutes, little Carmine, all 50 pounds of him, would be snoring. I will exact my revenge. And I could just imagine, we're standing outside of his Casa, Casa Marano, on the south shore of Staten Island, and we're knocking on the door, you know. Hey, Frank, come on, we know you're there. People are coming up, you know, because Rudy Giuliani's like God out there. I'm like a saint. I won Staten Island over Eric Adams, so they're all lining up, you know. You guys are great and all that. What are you doing here? We're waiting for Frank Morano. Well, we saw him and his wife in there a little while ago. So they'll be, you know, huddled together. What do we do? Should we answer the door? Maybe they'll go away. No, we're going to wait. We are going to have drag time, excuse me, drag queen bedtime stories for Carmine, read to him by Rudy Giuliani, who's as good as uh, Milton Burrow was in dressing up as a drag queen. I will extract my revenge if it's the last thing I do. WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. of the other side of midnight, Friday morning, Saturday morning, Sunday morning. Boy, Frank Morano, if you give up any more of your real estate, I'm just going to eat it up like a Pac-Man. I'm now number two at this station, number two in the ratings, number two in sales. Sid Rosenberg is way the hell ahead of the rest of us. He's lapped us, but I'm going to get him. Within two years, I'm going to catch him. And I told him that when I appear with him tomorrow morning, 7.05, he'll let you know. No doubt, he's way ahead, but hey, every hour that somebody gives up, every time I substitute for somebody, that's a ratings point that I get, because it's a live and local program. I got a lot of patience, so patience, I'm going to get Sid Rosenberg, if it takes me the rest of my life on talk radio, and he knows it, he knows it, we're at it. Just pass Frank Morano by, pass Bill O'Reilly by. <laughs> oh, boy. He's lapped us. He's so far ahead. By the way, now that I'm thinking of uh, what the wrong side of the bed means, how about dead as a doornail? I mean, what does that mean, dead as a doornail? That's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. People say, oh, he's dead as a doornail. What does that mean? Dead as a doornail. Or all about to spill the beans, right? What do you mean to spill the beans? You mean to be a rat and eat the Parmesan cheese? What does that mean? 
Oh, don't let my wife Nancy hear this. She may confront me at 11 o'clock for the animal welfare hour. The most listened to, the most called in of the many hours that I do here at WABC when the acronym WABC stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. Hey, did the cat did the cat get your tongue? What does that mean? What do you mean the cat got your tongue? I mean, I live with cats. They never try to reach my tongue. Now, claw me in a lot of other ways, yes. I've yet to have a cat try to get my tongue. Is that the tongue you would get in a deli? You know, hey, hey, let me tell you, I want tongue. Tongue? Who orders tongue anymore? What, with a slab of mustard on it or mayonnaise? What kind of a gabon would have tongue with mayonnaise between two slices of Levy's Jewish rye bread? Anyway, our number is one 800 and I know some of our colleagues here at WABC, I wish we had their tongue. Let's try this. Oh, let's go to Tommy in Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Tommy? Tommy? Tomas? Are you there? He was going to say that the cemetery that Harry Houdini is buried in is in Forest Hills, and I was going to tell him that's an illusion. That's an illusion, Tommy. I know you're out there. You're frustrated. You really think they told you because you live in Forest Hills that he's buried in that that cemetery. I've been in all the cemeteries. That's an illusion. One of the great illusions of Harry Houdini is people think he's buried in a cemetery in Forest Hills. The greatest illusion he has ever ever created. To this day, people think that I have to straighten him out. He's not buried in Forest Hills. Oh, yes, he is. Have you seen it? No. How do you know he's buried in... Everybody knows. How do they know? Why don't you walk into the cemetery and look for his crypt or his mausoleum or his tombstone? But see, Tommy, he disappeared because he knew I was going to confront him. (sighs) Let's, let's go to Benny in the Bronx. Let's see if people in the Bronx know what the wrong side of the bed means, Benny. Hey, uh, hey I'm not going to ask you what's up. I'm not going to ask you how are you, none of that stuff. Kurt, you're my man. Listen here. I know, I know the answer to all three of those questions. Uh, give them to me one by one. What's the first one? Waking up on the wrong side of the bed. come from, that means that when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, it's you're giving your wife and your children a hard time. You awaken miserable and you want to make everybody around you miserable. You're grouchy and, and, and so your wife says to you like, well, what's wrong with you? You wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? Something like that. Mm, that's a poco poco. It's, it's acceptable. Now what about... Yeah, it's, it's Awakening with a bad attitude. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that. Like you're a real yeah. pill. Like, hey, honey, you're a real pill today, right? It's something like that. Okay, yeah. okay. now, dead as a doornail. Dead as a doornail. Well, what does a doornail do all by itself? Nothing. It just lays there, you know? It, it lays there. It does nothing. Uh, so it's like dead. But, but you could you could say that about thousands of things in life. Why a doornail? Well, a, well, a doornail is 
generally made of aluminum or lead. It's it's solid, heavy. It's like really dead, you know. And a piece of metal, it was the you know, a piece of paper is not quite as dead as as uh, many, lead or, or many, steel uh, or something. A piece of paper can blow away. The wind will blow it away, but but steel, it stays there. You know, lead, it stays there. I know you're, you're trying hard on this one, Benny. I, I give you no props. Good, huh? You're trying hard, but. I, I would equate it to some of the talk show hosts and hostesses I've listened to. When I listen to them, I feel dead. Oh. Oh. Okay. Okay. Dead is a journey. It's like, it's like not you. It's what something that's outside of you. All right. Yeah. Now, now, the last one. Uh-huh. Hey, what's wrong with you, uh, Benny? The cat got your tongue? Oh, when you with your boy or, you know, with whoever you with and... And, and, and both of you did something that's bad, you know. You did something terrible, and, and, and now you're being questioned about it, and you you refuse to answer. That sucked. And he blew it right there. Come on. I want to hear somebody rise and shine to the occasion. What does it mean? What, a cat got your tongue? How stupid is that? And see, none of you out there have a question these things. That is a doornail. Getting up on the wrong side of the bed. I mean, his first answer was pretty good. I accept that from Benny. But then it was all downhill. All downhill after that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Martina Navarola in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Martina. Hello. I love you since I was a young girl. Um, The guardian angels have been a blessing to around the world. But I remember seeing you and your folks, like, around the city, like, all the time. So that's great. Well, well, Uh, let me, before you get into your point, I'm seriously considering uh, just once again flooding the subways with guardian angels. Whatever else we're doing, just say, forget that. We're just flooding the subways because Eric Adams, Swagger Man, has not brought down subway crime. So we might end up doing that come January 1st. So stay tuned for that, Martina. I started with um, MTA 34 years ago. I used to see you and your your people a lot. And I, this is 34 years. Um, when I do see a guardian angel, it's it's a treat. I might see two or three on the train, but that's like very sparingly because I've been all around the world working for transit as first as a railroad clerk, then as a station agent. And I don't even know the new title of us now because it's like my whole adult. No, no, no. Look, you're a veteran. You've earned it. You've been down there in the the bowels of uh, the city dealing with subways. Uh, But Martina... You are delaying answering the needed answer of what does it mean to get up on the wrong side of the bed. Okay, it's the attitude. It's it's a uh, waking up in a bad mood. It could be a bad dream or um, not good rest. And when you wake up, you just in in a like a pissy mood for the rest of the oh, day. So it's like. When I'm listening to Frank Morano on the worst side of the other side of midnight and I wake up and I realize, oh, God, I have a headache. I'm in a pissy mood. I'm angry. I wonder what caused. Oh, it was Frank Morano, right? Right, <laughs> Martina? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. I got it. I got it, Martina. Okay. Sold. We take that one off the boards. 
waking up on the wrong side of the bed. Let's go to Paul in Huntington. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paul. Curtis, hi, thanks. Very quickly, um, Dead as a Doornail is an historic reference. Um, back in the day, colonial times, before that, making nails wasn't easy to do. Um, nails were recovered and reused. So even if you burn something down like a shed, you'd take the nails out of the ashes. Doors, however, were built in such a way that when they were nailed, the part that came through, you know, out the other end was hammered down flat. You didn't want pointy things sticking out all over the the building. Um, once you tried to recover those, well, you couldn't. They were bent, twisted. They couldn't be reused. Dead as a doornail. Hmm. That, Paul, is somewhat plausible. As I remember, my grandfather, Fidela Bianchino, cheapskate, frugal, would actually do exactly what Paul described, take old nails and put them in a bucket and then he'd give it to my father, who was a master carpenter who was fixing up the house when he'd be home from the ship. And my grandfather would, would say, use my nails. My father would look at him and say, these, these nails, they're all bent, they're old. Where'd you get these nails, Pop, from? Oh, I, I bought them at the hardware store. Bull feathers. No, no, I went to Bella Fury. I bought them at the hardware store. Man, my grandfather would throw nickels around like manhole covers. The only thing he'd spend money on was his crooked Denobola cigars. He'd walk a mile for a Denobola cigar. Okay, I'll, I'll accept some of that. That is a doornail, okay, getting up on the wrong side of the bed. What about a cat got your tongue? I know that's going to piss Nancy off for the animal welfare hour, you know. Remember what... Dominic Carter said two weeks ago, it's like when you skin a cat. Or words to that effect. Oh, my God, did that traumatize Nancy. By the way, all 18 rescue cats, they listen. It pissed them off, too. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Uh-oh. Russo is going for the trifecta, the trinity, the troika. Russo, you know all three of those answers? I believe so, Curtis. Uh, Doornail is dead because it's constantly being slammed by the door. Um, getting up on the wrong side of the bed is not in the middle of the room. You get up on the wrong side and you walk into the wall, and hence you are in a bad mood. And cat got your tongue? Take one of your cats, hold it up in front of you, stick your tongue out, and go, and see what happens. The cat will reach out and get your tongue. All right, so let me uh, create this this image so that our many listeners out there who can <laughs> hear us. I don't understand it, but what will happen? All right, but wait a second. Let me create this image. We have people listening in 38 states, parts of Canada sliver of Europe, right on down at Davy Jones's locker between the Bahamas and Bermuda. By the way, Bermuda was the first place that Cousin Brucey was broadcasting from. That's where he got his first job in broadcasting. And in the Bahamas is where those crooks at FTX were given sanctuary. We'll talk about that later on. You believe it? That CEO who robbed $32 billion, there's no money left, FTX, is going to be the keynote speaker for the New York Times at Lincoln Center on November 30th this week? Hey, 
Feds, you think you could bring the chains and shackles and have them walk the Daisy Perp line? This guy makes Bernie Madoff look like a guy who just robbed a bank. Oh, but the New York Times, that's all right. We need to hear from this young man and find out where's the money. You know, they love their podcasts, you know, their crime series podcasts. Yeah, where, where did you hide the money? How could you do that? You graduated from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. That's because he's intellectually stupid and he knows that there's suckers galore out there, New York Times. Wow. This is not helping me. This is not, Russo did not help me with that last one. I'm supposed to, let's say, take Tuna, my cat, my AARP cat, who appeared in my TV commercial when I was running for mayor. Tuna. Everybody fell in love with Tuna. They forgot it was a commercial for me to become mayor, right? It's like, oh, Tuna. Yeah, we'll elect Tuna. Who's that guy in the red beret? I'm the one running for mayor, not Tuna. So I hold Tuna in front of me. She's the AARP cat. I think she's like 16, 18. I don't know. And I go, and the cat will suddenly grab my tongue. That makes no sense. If anything, you do that to a cat, they run away, right? They think you're like a serpent, a snake. You know, like a snake charmer in India. Can I say that? You know, where they... Is that politically correct now? Snake charmer in India in the wicker basket. You know, they blow the little horn. (laughs) Snake comes up. The cobra. Is that permissible? You know, I didn't say Gunga Din. I said the snake charmer. You got to, it's got to, you got to filter everything you say nowadays. Let's go to Billy in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Billy. Hey, Curtis, nobody knows more about Bruce Lee than me. What happened to him before he died? Months earlier, he was pumping iron with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, lifting heavyweights, and he ruptured his disc in his back so bad. The doctors thought he was never going to walk again. And he was taking heavy-duty muscle relaxants. And then he was in Hong Kong promoting his latest movie, and he was hanging out with this Chinese girl named Betty. And, and she he had a bad headache, and she gave him some Chinese medicine that combined with his American muscle relaxants, and he had a, a, a aneurysm. And that's the real truth about how Bruce died. One of many theories out there. That is true. That is a theory. How about the one where the masters in the triad were upset that he was exploiting martial arts in film with the Americans? And they came up and they gave him the finger. No, not what we think is the finger. Put the finger on his chest and then all of a sudden caused him to go into cardiac arrest. Huh? That's one of about 2,892 theories as to how Bruce Lee died at the age of 32. More theories about that than who killed JFK. Let's go to Ray in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ray. Hey, Curtis, we go back a long way. You and I about the same age. You're a little older than me. I saw you around a bunch. Uh, the cat has your tongue. When I grew up as a kid, my mom used to feed feral cats on the porch, and she would feed them before my father. So my father would be at the breakfast table waiting for toast or an English muffin, and the cats would like, 
meow, meow. And my mother would feed him before the old man, and the old man got mad. And? Am I close? Oh, my God. What a bunch of... What can I say, man? This is not a Mensa group. It really isn't. I ask simple questions. What does it mean to get up on the wrong side of the bed? You hear it all the time. You have no idea why you say it, why other people say it. You repeat it. You regurgitate it like parrots. Dead is a doornail. A doornail is dead. There are like 10 trillion things in the world that you could say. Dead as a blankety blank. Cat got your tongue and to spill the beans. Well, we know what that means, spill the beans, right? That means basically to be a rat and eat the Parmesan cheese. You know, like Sammy the Bill, uh, Bull Gravano. He was, he spilt the beans. Now, is that the cannoli beans? Is that the pasta azul beans? Which, which beans are those? Because, you know, beans are all different. You know, I, I mean, let's face it, cannoli beans are a lot different than army beans, than Campbell's baked beans, right? I mean, let's be honest, okay? So I can't necessarily, I spill the beans. I open up a can of Campbell's uh, army beans, they used to call it, right? Campbell's beans. It doesn't come out of the can that fast because it's got the sauce in it. So you really can't spill the beans all that quick. Then they're black beans, and then the Cubans would get upset, right? Black beans, oh, my God. You start a war, red beans. You want red beans or black beans? Will this determine whether I live or die here with MS-13? Do I give it a choice? You know, you go to one of these cantinas run by MS-13, Hampton Bays. You go in there, right? How do you want your rice and beans? With black beans or red beans? Now, if you pick the wrong bean, that could be it for you. Because that means like you're siding with their enemies. You got to know that technology. No, I'll have my rice without beans. No, you got to pick one or the other. And then they're all eye-fornicating you and mad dog, and you like to, they're ready to take their knives out and machetes and chop your head off if you pick the wrong bean. Let's go to Susan, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Susan. Thank you, Curtis. Um, cat's got your tongue. To me, it means like you're in a conversation, and all of a sudden someone may stop talking. And they'll say, what's the matter? The cat's got your tongue. So it means, why did you stop talking? You don't have your tongue anymore. And I don't know why they refer to cats, except that maybe they swipe at things. And so they'll say, cat's got your tongue, so you can't talk anymore. That's what I think it is. But you don't know, right, Susan? You don't I don't know. know for sure, but that's what my interpretation now, is. Now, Susan. Your tongue, you don't speak. In your life, how many times have you said that? How many times have you heard that said by others? Uh, Too many to count. Right. So you say to yourself, here's all this time. You've said it yourself. You've heard it said to you. And yet you really don't know what it means. Well, that's what it means to me. But it could mean something different to someone else. Don't you think... That you ought to ask somebody what it means first before you keep repeating it, right? Not if it's not a bad thing, no. Mm-mm. Yeah, but you say it means different things to different people. Your cat is not necessarily like my cat. True, but it, but it would mean, why did you stop talking? What happened? The cat's got your tongue? 
No, the reason you stopped talking is you you said, could you be any more stupid? What more could I say after you said something that stupid? So as uh, my mother, Francesca, would say, Curtis, if you don't have anything nice to say about the dead, don't say anything at all, right? So would the cat, the cat get my tongue then? Because you know me, I'm going to say something bad about the person who died. And that's not stopping me. I'm sorry, Mom. Hey, you know me. It's like, if they're my enemies, they should go straight to hell without an asbestos suit. The cat ain't getting my tongue, that's for sure. 1-800-848-9222. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Oh, yeah. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. From the Bronx, legitimately, just like uh, J Lo, who will release an album finally after eight years. Jenny, uh, round the block, right? Legitimately, Castle Hill grew up there, went to Preston High School. But man, she is a diva of all divas. If it ain't about Jennifer Lopez, she don't want to know. Between her and Mariah Carey, I don't know who's more of a diva. So she's got this eighth album she's putting, excuse me, an album she's putting out after eight years on hiatus. And I already made the proposal that she dedicated to Irene Cara, who passed away last night in Miami Beach. Great singer, great dancer, great choreographer, great actress of uh, Flashdance and fame. And these songs that she sang, I know inspired J-Lo. I know inspired Mariah Carey and others. And she's from the Bronx. But do you think she'll get any recognition? You see, I would have given Vinnie Madunio an A-plus for him doing double duty, his own show, 5 to 6. And then so nice, he came back twice uh, for the uh, Dina Martin uh, hour. Much better. He's much better. I mean, five-star top shelf. Except... He did not pay tribute to Irene Carrot. This song should have been played somewhere in those two hours. Yeah, should have been played. See, he's still JV. 
He hasn't got to the varsity yet. He's only the prince of Staten Island. The guy who thinks he's the king of Staten Island is on his way here. Frank Morano in his 1972 yellow Vega that at any moment might go on fire. That's a fire trap. And the floorboards are already rotted out. In order to stop for a red light, it's like Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble. He puts his feet down through the rotted out floorboards. Gosh. Oh, I got beef with him. Wasn't invited to Carmine's birthday party. I mean, oh, man. Anyway, let's go to uh, Franklin, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Franklin. Yes, Curtis, I'll be brief. The uh, the uh, uh, ancient Rome superstition was that you had to sleep on the right side of the bed, and if you got out on the left side, that would be bad luck. You'd be in a bad mood all day, and you have trouble. That is a doornail. In the old days, they had wooden pegs who were in place of nails, so if you used a wooden peg and nailed it in, you couldn't get it out. It was dead as, as forever. Uh, cat, cats on nine tails uh, was the thing about the uh, cat's got your tongue. That was in uh, olden times on sailing ships. They had the cat of nine tails for lashes, and if you got threatened with that, you keep your mouth shut. So they'd say to the other sailors, you say, cat's got your tongue. Spill the beans was in ancient Greek uh, times. They had boarding with jars and colored beans. If you spilled them, the, the, the election was nullified. It was as simple as that. Wow. Man, you hit it. You almost hit the Quinella there. Franklin, stay on the line. Uh, have our telephone okay. talent coordinator send him a courtesy or booby prize. I mean, that was amazing. Wow. Spill the beans. If you spill the beans, you cancel the election. You know something? I might be talking with uh, Sid Rosenberg, 7.05 in the morning. You better be listening. How they're trying to rob a hero, man who served his country, Tom Sullivan, from the great Sullivan family in the Rockaways. He won the assembly race against a woman named Pfeiffer overwhelmingly. And the crooked Democratic Queens County machine has demanded that it be brought in front of a state Supreme Court judge that crooked Joe Crowley had appointed years ago. You know how they get state Supreme Court judges? They have to kick in every year at the annual county dinner, $100,000, and you buy a judgeship. Now, do you think they're going to give Tom Sullivan a break or they're going to give Pfeiffer a break? Whose mother is the county clerk who works with the New York State Supreme Court justices and her stepfather was the head of the court officers? The fix is in. You want to be listening at 7.05 in the morning because I've connected all the dots. And these crooks are going to try to steal this election. Even the crooks there in the Democratic Party say, oh, he's a fine man. He's such a nice man. Such a great family. Then why are you stealing the election from him? It's the one time me and Sid were together on this. We're like brothers in solidarity. When it comes to Eric Adams, we're on different sides. You know, he's uh, set up the meeting with Barzini, huh? He's a traditor. Just remember that. Just remember that. Let's go to Gary and Inwood. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Curtis, I got some phrases that you Harvard year Gary, Gary, you're in a tunnel. Can you hear me now? 
No. Are you, are, are, you, are you underneath the A-train? Are you in the A-train tunnel there? It's like 5,000 feet below below sea level. How's this? Not good enough, Gary. Oh, man. It's the room I'm in. Oh, man. It's like, you see, he, he's on the A-train. But, but at least he's on the A-train, okay? I don't know, every time I get Gary on the line, he's got he's got that Obama phone, you know. It's, uh, maybe it's a burner phone, a Motorola burner phone, you know. The drug dealers use and guys who have a gumada, you know, a home slice on the side. Because every month they get to throw the burner phone away. How do I explain this to my wife about the cat got your tongue? Why did I even bring this up since we're going to be talking the animal welfare hour? She's going to be so upset with me. All the 18 rescue cats, they listen. You know, they've said that cats can identify human voices, and they really can. Boy, I better not go back to the house anytime soon, or all the cats will have my tongue. Is that even possible? I mean, really, where did these phrases come up here? They've been created centuries ago. The one guy, he nailed it. He's getting the Curtis Sliver Booby Prize. But be real, how many times do you repeat things and you never once say to yourself, why the hell am I saying something that sounds so stupid? And what does it mean? And why do I keep repeating it like a parrot? Why do I keep saying the same thing over and over and over? I mean, stop, process it, think for yourself, be a free agent, be independent and autonomous, and come to your own conclusions, right? That I will eventually pass Sid Rosenberg. It may take me two years in this race for rating supremacy. I will get Sid. Listen tomorrow at 7.05. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Uh-oh. I'm going to have to face the music, aren't I, uh, Nancy? Uh, well, yeah, no, I, I was listening to that. It was uh, very entertaining and informative. But you didn't mind that I was using the term, a cat got your tongue? Well, no, I mean, I, I don't think it has any negative connotations. But I was very interested in uh, many suggestions. How did the cats at home uh, take to that? Uh, they were entertained as well. Oh, okay. Because uh, we actually discussed it last week that cats can identify human voices, correct? That's correct. Correct. So when I'm on with you, you're at home. Obviously, I'm here in the studio at WABC. Can they, do they know that that's me who's talking on the radio? I, I definitely think they do. Um, I have noticed when I put you on, like, you know, have you on the computer, uh, 
right away they'll notice a difference between another voice and they'll go up to the computer. It's pretty funny. You know, last night, uh, just a side issue before we get into the animal welfare subjects, uh, I had calls from uh, Australia and uh, from Argentina that were crystal clear, in fact, a lot better than some of the calls we get uh, locally, and they were hearing it crystal clear. You listen to it on the stream sometimes, and the app? Correct. How much better is that than if you turned on the the radio, the old terrestrial radio, to listen? Uh, well, let's see. Well, okay, so I actually did hear the, the caller from Australia, and... On the app on the phone, it sounds so good. I mean, you, I mean, like I said, it's unbelievable how clear that voice is so far away. So, um, you know, and just again, the immediacy of it as well. And just so, very, very quickly, yeah. because there are a lot of people, you know, in my age group, baby boomers, who really don't know what an app is. Uh, you're the technological one in the family. I'm a Luddite. How easy is it to get an app on your cell phone? Oh, it's it's super easy. I mean, all you all you're doing is um, going to you know one thing where it's like the the store where you just say what you want to have and you know you you put in the search bar so for like WABC and then it, it pulls it up. You click on the little button. It says install here, and then the minute you install it, it puts it right on uh, your phone like as an icon. So then when you want to listen, all you do, you press it, and it automatically opens up. So it's like you always have it, you know, and it's like I said, it's just perfect. Um, you know, like I've never had any issues with the app whatsoever. So it's just, you know, again, right, you can listen to it whenever. So I always have it on my phone. That's how I listen to it a lot. Yeah, and before you were birthed, uh, when I was a kid, we have a little transistor radio that we'd carry around. It would always be crackling. Uh, we The signal would go in and out. The, the app. On your cell phone, you can listen to it anywhere, and it's crystal clear, right? Oh, completely. Yeah, completely. Oh, I would advise everybody to do that. This way, you have your cell phone with you all the time. You can listen to it while you work, while you you shop, wherever you go. Just uh, get the app for your cell phone. But let's get into the animal welfare subjects. There was a story that I... I I talked about briefly, but I held off on the full details until the Animal Welfare Hour earlier this afternoon in one of my shows. And I talked about how apparently a couple had surrendered their cat to the Animal Control Shelter of New York City because they were going on vacation. Yeah, so this was, um, sadly, a 12-year-old... A uh, gray and white tuxedo cat was brought to the shelter, and the the reason that was given was that um, you know there a there, uh, couple was going on vacation, and I mean that was the extent of it, right? So, not I I couldn't find anyone or any explanation. So, you know the shelter took the the cat in and. You know, I mean, uh, you know, this cat did have uh, a bit of time. Uh, It had close to three weeks, right? So in theory, if these people had gone on vacation, I would imagine they would have been back by then. Um, They probably could have just reclaimed the cat. Uh, Sadly, they didn't. Now, everything about this cat, there was no health issues with this cat noted other than like dental, which is very normal for a cat that's like, you know, over 10 years old. 
but you know, within the, the uh, less than three weeks, they euthanized the cat. So, again, it just goes to show. I mean, the description of this cat was, oh, it's calm, uh, affectionate, friendly, curious, easygoing. Like so, personality-wise, this would be the type of cat you think you can adopt. And you know, like I said, just sadly, this was the reason it was given to the shelter, and no reason was given really for euthanizing this cat. They killed the cat. They killed the cat. Yeah. Why? Well, and there you go. That's the problem. There is no reason given for it. Everything that's given on the intake um, sheets about it, which they're very thorough. I mean, there's nothing indicated about this cat having any underlying issues. And they do, in fact, do uh, fairly extensive testing when these animals come in. So right away, they'll you know give you the rundown. But everything in terms of you know, good prognosis and behavior-wise being like, a, you know, a, exactly ideal for the type of cat who would be able to be adopted to, for no explanation, no reason, and no, no nothing would have been really indicating why they would have done this. So, yeah, that's unfortunate. Not only unfortunate, who is the couple that would surrender their cat to a shelter because they're going on vacation? There are places that will put the cat up. Maybe there's a friend or a relative who might have housed the cat for the brief time you were on vacation. I don't think... Well, you know, yeah, and then again, and also, I mean, this is an area where the shelter should really be stepping up, right? Because if the goal is to keep um, pets united with their families in their homes, then they should be offering any types of services they can to make that process easier. So that situation could have been, okay, we're going to, I mean, they should be offering maybe something like that, temporary services where people's pets can be housed in, in like a similar fashion, because you have people also who, um, uh, you know, are moving or maybe they get evicted and, you know, there's a temporary thing where they just can't hold the animals for a minute. So there's a lot of reasons why the shelters should do this. If you have people coming in saying, this is the reason we're doing it, and you're not saying, well, we can hold the cat until you get back. That's you know, that's them dropping the ball. I mean, as well as the owners just being fairly horrific, I would think. I think people have to come to the conclusion that if they're surrendering their animal to any city-run shelter in New York City, for whatever the reason, you've got to assume that that cat might well at some point be destroyed or executed. I mean, you have to. You have to. And... Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's like within the boilerplate uh, language you see uh, when you're relinquishing the cat, you sign the paperwork. I mean, obviously, you're aware of the fact that it exists. Um, I don't think they're bringing it to your attention, but I, th- I just think they're not doing enough to really keep um, animals at home, you know, pets at home with uh, their owners. So, I mean, yeah, again, that, that's a really sad situation that uh, someone would be willing to do that. I mean, because, again, it doesn't even make sense. I can't imagine someone would would uh, be caring for a cat for 12 years and then do that. So, uh, you know, it, it kind of just makes you wonder if the story goes deeper than that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC. 1-800-848-9222. Now, there was a cat you showed me. I, I guess what they call it is... Um, um, what can we call it? Death row? Is that the, the appropriate correct. term? Yeah, correct. Well, that, yeah, that is what they call it. So it's like uh, an inmate in the old Sing Sing Asening when they had the electric uh, chair there that would be housed on death row. It's just a matter of time. 
And as I've explained, even if Governor Kathy Hochul called up like the old time prison movies, you know, where the inmate like James Cagney was hoping for a reprieve from the governor, they can reprieve for a human being when there was the death penalty. There's no death penalty anymore. But even if the governor would have called, there's no reprieve, right? Yeah, correct. Correct. And there's a situation now involving a blind cat. I know you pointed it out to me. You said, can we go save it? Can we uh, make sure that it's not going to be destroyed or killed or euthanized? Can you explain the circumstances and and why it's become a a, a trauma? Well, yeah, so this is another um, stellar example of uh, a good owner where this is a cat – that's um, estimated about 13 years old. The cat is blind. Uh, they've dubbed the cat Garfield. Um, it's at the Manhattan uh, shelter. And the people, you know, relinquished, uh, you know, the the um, the cat to the shelter. And again, you don't necessarily need reasons why you're doing that. Um, so I'm not sure if they gave a reason why they did it. But as soon as they did this, they asked right away, well, can we sort of trade this cat in for a kitten, <laughs> which is just completely disturbing that they did that. So this cat is now sitting at the shelter. It is available for adoption. Um, and like I said, so it's blind. I mean, I've inquired into it, but I haven't gotten any word yet whether um, any rescues have uh, grabbed this cat yet. So I'm just not sure. But it's a blind senior that was someone tried to trade in as though that was, you know, like going to like a car lot, you know, for, for trade in value. I mean, it's just so sad that this would have, you know, this is this cat's fate winding up in the shelter like this. Now point out from our own circumstance, I remember you rescued a cat named Homer, who's no longer Mm -hmm. with us, an older cat who was blind, blind, I guess, from birth. Mm -hmm. Explain why so many cats are blind or can't even see out of one eye and how this still can function, they still can survive, and still have a great life because people, there's a certain assumption out there that if a cat is blind, that's it. They should be uh, euthanized. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of Homer, I mean, uh, Homer was also a senior cat. And, you know, Homer, I mean, completely as interactive as you could, you know, imagine a cat to be. I mean, even more so than a senior cat. And... The only thing that, uh, you know, we did just to accommodate was put uh, little steps. Like, so they have the the steps that you have for animals where it makes it easy for them to get onto little surfaces because obviously, you know, there's limited mobility. You can't climb, um, you know, and, and again, just, um, you know, and of course, Homer always, the minute that you would sit down at the desk or you would sit down to go to sleep, I mean, right away, you know, he didn't have to see you to know where you were to go right next to you the minute you sat down. So, I mean, all the other senses are extremely heightened. So I don't really think, especially when you have an indoor cat, I don't think that, uh, you know, really affects anything. If anything, it just more affects what you need to do um, in terms of, you know, really just trying to accommodate. So I was very mindful of not moving things around, you know, because they, they learn the space once they... They walk their out for a little bit, and you do something like move a piece of furniture. You know they have to learn it brand new. So you know you want to be mindful of things like that. But other than that, I mean, they're completely like every other cat that we've ever had. Why are so many cats blind? 
Well, I, a lot of the ones that are outdoors, uh, that live outdoors, that's one of the, the, the worst things that happens. Like one of the first things that happens to them too, when they don't have uh, their mother there or they're not able to maintain levels of cleanliness, right? Because that's just so important when they're young. Kittens can't take care of themselves. So they're relying on their mother to clean them. Um, sometimes uh, something happens to the mother or they get separated or it's just, um, you know, a very dirty environment. I mean, think about living outdoors. So if the eye gets infected, uh, you know, the kitten can't do anything to help itself. There's only so much a mother cat can do in terms of cleaning the cat. And that's something that's very common with the outdoor cats. Their eyes get infected and they'll lose their eyes. There's so many, I can't tell you how many kittens I see that are brought into the shelter that are under a month and their eyes are so infected, they're like, you know, swelled out of the sockets. It's just, it's that extreme how bad it goes. And then they lose their vision, they can't see. And I mean, that's their life. I mean, if they're on the streets, chances are they don't make it at all. If they're in the shelters and they don't get euthanized, then they're just gonna be blind, unfortunately. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And just quickly for edification, the name of that blind cat who is up for adoption is Garfield? Garfield, correct. All right. Well, we got to do everything we can to rescue that cat because my, my intuition says that after a certain period of time, they're just going to execute that cat. They're going to destroy yeah, that cat. Garfield's in, in uh, the Manhattan shelter. So. Right. And by the way, uh, we have stood for no-kill shelters, as so many of our listeners, our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, when he ran for mayor. Back in 2013, he was the first candidate ever anywhere to advocate for no-kill shelters. And it's about time we have them in New York City. And yet they vacillate, they delay, they don't do it. And we just keep needlessly killing all these animals. Now, speaking of an animal who made news over the long Thanksgiving Day holiday, could you please explain how somebody packed a bag as they went through TSA Checkpoint Charlie, I think on their way to Tampa, Florida, and it turned out there was a cat in their bag? Yeah, so, yeah, so I, I believe it was from JFK that this individual was leaving, and he rents a house, like a, an apartment a room from this woman, and apparently this woman, her cat likes to get into little tiny spaces and hide. So as he was preparing to leave for a trip and he had his luggage out on the floor, uh, the cat got into his luggage and en route to the airport, I guess he didn't hear it. The cat didn't make any noise. And then he's, you know, it's like a big carry-on bag. It's going through the conveyor belt. They're looking at it and they see the, (laughs) the outline, the body of the cat. So they open it up and... He's like as surprised as they were, like, what is this doing here? So, uh, you know, they, but they caught it because as they, it went through the conveyor belt, they saw the physical shape of the cat. What else was in that tourist bag? <laughs> yeah. So what was actually really funny, so he's going all the way to Florida, and there was about eight to ten bottles of some type of alcohol and a pair of flip-flops. That's it? That's it. And a cat. Eight to ten bottles of booze, flip-flops, and he didn't even know a cat got into his bag. 
Yeah, and, and he wasn't even questioned about the other items, which to me are even equally intriguing. Well, what's intriguing to me is his living space, they claim in the story, he was renting a room from a woman in her apartment. This is the same story that Eric Adams gave us <laughs> about the woman that he hired to be the deputy police commissioner at $241,000, Lisa White, that he was renting a room in her apartment between 2013 and 2017 in the Jackie Robinson apartments at the old Ebbets Field in Crown Heights. So I guess it is plausible. Yeah, it's like a three's company kind of. Exactly. Well, oh, my God, he didn't know that there was a cat in his back? Well, again, right, that's that's what he claimed. So, I mean, I can vouch for one thing, which is that sometimes when you bring um, cats in transit, you know, they're in a vehicle, they get uh, very scared uh, just because it's just so different than their home environment that, you know, they kind of freeze up and they might not make noise. Now, I mean, but again, I'm thinking this cat, it was an adult cat, so it has to, even the weight should have made a difference. I mean, it's got to be at least 10 pounds. Yeah, we think you have to notice that, the, the heaviness of it. Well, I mean, he must, he must, have, been, he must have been half in the bag. I mean, let's face it. He's got well, I mean, eight, he already had the bottles there. Right, he's got eight <laughs> bottles of booze, and all he's got are flip-flops. <laughs> and he's got a, a cat that he had no idea how the cat got in his bag. You know he was half in the bag. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean, maybe the cat really was his friend, and he was just trying to sneak it on without paying for a ticket. <laughs> I mean, how many times people get stopped at the TSA checkpoint, Charlie, and the uh, person after they put it through the x-ray uh, will say, uh, Sir, can you step over here? What's the problem? Uh, it looks like you have a handgun in your luggage. Yeah. I, I didn't know I had a handgun in my luggage, a fully loaded 9 millimeter with extra clips. I have no idea, officer, how that fully loaded 9 millimeter with extra clips got in my bag. Somebody must have put it there. Yeah, this could be setting a bad legal precedent. Oh, my God. Anyway, our numbers to the animal welfare segment with Nancy is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then a story that is the lead story on many of the newscasts. Great work by the police officers of the 114th Precinct in uh, uh, in Queens. That's right in Forest Hills. But apparently they stopped a car in Woodhaven. And it turns out that there was a Great Dane mother and her puppies. But you noticed the name of the person that got arrested for that is the same person we dealt with over a year ago who had rented an apartment in Canarsie, East Flatbush, that he turned into a house of horror for dogs. Could you explain what happened? Yeah, so, uh, you know, this uh, this guy is pulled over. Now, his name is uh, Ravon Service. He was pulled over over the weekend um, on Woodhaven Boulevard, and during that stop they found uh, a crate with the mother of Great Dane and seven puppies, and they were clearly in extremely bad shape, all thrown into this one, you know, small container. So now this guy, uh, you know, he was uh, uh, charged, like he has the charges against him related to the animal abuse. Now, he's the same individual who last year in Brooklyn, he was doing the same thing, breeding dogs in an apartment that, uh, not even himself, it was his parents who had initially rented it, 
he was squatting in an apartment and raising these dogs, breeding these dogs, selling the dogs, and uh, abusing the dogs, leaving the dogs alone for weeks at a time. Now, the woman who owned the building, you know, and she's a OBGYN, her and her husband, her child, they lived there. They rented out um, this apartment, and this is what was going on in the apartment. And for months, she's reaching out, uh, you know, to NYPD, ASPCA, I mean, all these different agencies seeking assistance. Nobody helps her. Um, Finally, after six months, um, you know, and you guys had gotten involved, and because of the the animal abuse initially, so now they wind up, uh, you know, uh, charging the individual, uh, Ravon Service, and the ASPCA comes, they take the dogs, and like normal, right, he gets a desk appearance ticket. Right away that night, he comes back to that place, and he's with the police. The police let him in. Well, yeah, you live here. You rent the place. So they let him in. That night, he he assaults her, the landlord, the husband, in front of the children that they have. So now he gets arrested for assault. Now, it turns out that the year before he was even in this place, he had been living in Bay Ridge doing the same thing in another apartment. So this is this guy's M.O. He, he continues to breed the animals, abuse the animals. There, he, was, he abused the landlord because she called him out for abusing the animals. And right away, I mean, and, and now he's, he's already out doing the same thing again. It is unbelievable. I must tell you that uh, this uh, story, uh, which uh, our friend Rob Becerra had tracked because the woman was in touch with him, begging him, please help, please help. And Rob Becerra is a longtime animal rights uh, activist. He's saved many dogs. He's gone into incredibly dangerous situations to do that. He said, Curtis, let's go over there. We've got to help this woman. She's she's talking about how feces and urine are coming through the walls. When we walked into this apartment, it was a horror house. It was a torture chamber. He had chains. He had shackled these dogs. He had tortured these dogs. He was finally arrested. And as you mentioned, he came back under the cover of darkness with his homeboys, and they tried to kill the landlord and his wife, I believe at this point, they so frightened them. It's right on the border of Canarsie East Flatbush near Brookdale Hospital that this family fled to New Jersey. And he continues, as you pointed out, to do it again and again and again. And I think uh, in this case, um, is enough for the criminal justice system, enough for the police. There's only so much they can do. Uh, this requires... Taking uh, taking things into our own hands. This guy is now on my radar screen. He's got to be stopped. Now, I'm not going to explain to people how I'm going to stop him. But he's got to be stopped. He's a dog torturer, a dog killer. He's defiant. He's brazen. He doesn't think anything can happen to him. Nobody in the criminal justice system seems to care about this. So it's happened now in Queens. It's happened in Brooklyn. Nothing's been done. The police are handcuffed. 
I mean, they can't even keep human beings in jail for attacking other human beings and trying to kill them. Uh, they're not going to treat this in the same capacity. So if all of a sudden I was to go out there and take care of this on my own, I would be the one who would be called a vigilante. I'm the one who's wrong. But we know that this guy is going to continue to torture dogs and kill dogs and derive extraordinarily and get a vicarious thrill out of it. Now, and, and an interesting thing to this, too. Now, the um, landlord, Kenesha Gilbert, one of the uh, people she was appealing to for six months was a public advocate. She got no response. Now, this was because of the combination of the animal abuse and what was going on in the apartment, um, you know, the squatting, no no assistance whatsoever. Now, one of the things that the, the, the politicians are trying to put forward now is the landlord's and being denied the criminal background checks. And one of the people who's already signed on board with that is the public advocate. And the idea, oh, well, we want to give everyone a fresh start. Yeah, that's great. But this person right here, who's this animal abuser, who's already been cited multiple times for breeding dogs in places once he gets there and squatting and breeding dogs and abusing animals, if you're not able to do a criminal background check, you wouldn't know that he's done this multiple times and likely going to do it when he runs from you. That's why you need to know what people have done. That's important. Yes, you're right. Jumani Williams, who's never there to be a public advocate for the right reasons, was contacted by this landlady who owned the building, as you mentioned, a nurse, an African-American woman. He didn't even respond. He's promoted this legislation that Tiffany Caban is the author of. She's she's basically the right-hand woman for AOC, All Out Crazy, the Democrat Socialists of America. They don't want landlords, landladies, owners of buildings to have the right to do a background check. You're right. This guy will have impunity to go from apartment to apartment and set up torture chambers for dogs, and he will be protected by the city council that's saying the landladies and landlords, you have no right to know the background of a man who's on a mission to kill, torture, and destroy as many dogs as he can. Absolutely. Uh, and, he, and he can threaten you. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> I'm just taking matters into my own hands as I've always done. Yeah. Uh, I am known as the world's number one vigilante, right? They made a documentary about it. I yeah. guess I guess I'm going to have to live up to the documentary. I mean, nobody is doing anything else. If not for Rob Becerra contacting me, who does this all the time, we would not have known anything about this. So, ladies and gentlemen out there, this dog torturer, this dog killer, this enemy of society... He's going to be stopped. I'm, I'm promising you he will be stopped because the criminal justice system obviously does not want to stop him and other criminals. And enough is enough. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Lewa. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. And Nancy, it lingers. A bill has been passed to do away with puppy mills in the state of New York. And Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb just vacillates, vacillates, vacillates. 
Um, where do we stand with all this? Can you give us an update? Okay, so, yeah, this relates to the uh, the banning of, uh, you know, puppy mill puppies in pet stores, so like puppy stores throughout the city. And the idea, obviously, is because uh, the level of abuse that happens within the breeder industry. Now, you know, it, unfortunately, this doesn't make a lot of sense what they're doing. And the concept of it is great, except that, you know, it targets these stores specifically and not the market in general, right? So people will continue to to sell them. Otherwise, individuals can um, continue to sell them. So that's where now you have uh, the backlash from these stores. They feel like, oh, well, you're targeting us and you're not really going after the problem at large, right? So, I mean, now that's so that's correct, but it shows you like the slow amount of time that it takes. This was initially introduced in 2019, and it finally got approved 2022. And it, supposedly, if it gets signed by the end of this year, then it can go. They can start implementing it 2024. All of these years that are passing, that nothing's being done about it. The other thing that it's trying to do, though, is to get more shelter dogs adopted. So the concept is, well, if you don't have the uh, puppy stores in the city uh, having all the space taken up by these uh, designer dogs or, you know, breeder puppies or whatever you want to call them, then people are going to be um, more inclined to get the shelter rescue dogs. And I think they're completely missing the point on that, too. Um, I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever because part of it is just uh, completely the location of it. You know, you have people who can visit the dogs, see the dogs in their own neighborhood, uh, you know, uh, prior to adopting, maybe they have, like, interaction directly with them. The places, like, the location where these shelters are, the city shelters are, are so horrific. It's so hard to get to them. It's the worst sort of atmosphere. So, for instance, uh, if you want to go to Brooklyn, you have to take the subway, you have to take the bus. You're standing outside of, uh, you know, the the shelter, which has fences all around it, waiting for someone to let you in after you've made an appointment. You're standing on Linden Boulevard, which has like 10 lanes of traffic. I mean, talk about you couldn't ha you put the animals in a worse location to be showcased for adoption purposes. And plus, there's no exposure of their personality, right? So I think what, what they're trying to do here, if they're saying we should take these um, – puppy you know these dogs out of the puppy um stores well it might make more sense to actually have the partnerships with these stores and say we're gonna be uh sending some of the animals who are in the shelter system your way this way you can socialize them uh you know get uh, public familiar with them because they're going to do the same things they do right now with these puppy mill puppies which are notoriously sick and that's the reason why they're trying to ban them, right? Oh, the, the, you know, people are getting the puppies. The puppies are dying. Okay, so you're you're going to have a partnership. They can start socializing the dogs from the shelters, and then this way they're getting some form of a stipend. So it's more of a partnership. Like you're not removing their um, business. You're giving them the opportunity to partner with the city and then also give uh, these animals more of an exposure, which is really key to getting them adopted in the first place. So I think that would make a lot more sense if – 
they approached it that way. Well, that makes sense because listen to what this one woman says in the New York Post article about the update. I could have adopted, but I don't think I'd find the one at a shelter. I know it sounds terrible for me to say, but there's health risks when you adopt. I don't think a lot of first-time dog owners are going to have the money and time to deal with all the health issues sheltered dogs have. Uh, could you straighten her out on that, Nancy? Yeah, I mean, and again, and this is like a lot of the perception, right? There's this idea that every animal at the shelter is, you know, somehow dysfunctional, um, medically challenged, uh, you know, socially, you're just going to take like forever to, and, and that's really part of the problem, right? There is this perception and there isn't a lot that's done to, um, you know, counterbalance that. And unfortunately the setup of the shelters isn't conducive to really anything otherwise, because the shelters are horrific locations. They're not uh, animal friendly at all. Uh, you know, cement, holding places for these animals, very little exposure time, very little socialization. They're yelling, screaming, the place smells. I mean, it's it's a horrible place for animals to be, and it's no way for people to judge the personalities. So, yeah, it's a uh, uh, – I mean, I can understand the why that's the, why the perception exists, but it's not the case that, that that's how the animals are, and that's why once you start showcasing them one by one, people can be introduced, oh – this is this animal's story. Oh, this is where this animal came from. There's a lot of them that have none of those issues that she's citing. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to the phones. It's Michael in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC. Michael. Curtis, Nancy, the best hour of radio right here. Um, I appreciate everything that you guys do. I want to tell you a quick story about cat adoption. So I walked into um, uh, the uh, North uh, Shore Animal League out on Long Island, kind of where you grew up, I guess, uh, Nancy, somewhere Uh out there. Yeah. Yep. And um, my wife and I walked in and, uh, you know, my wife's uh, favorite cat unfortunately passed away. So we were like, we have to get a replacement. So. We go in there, and um, basically what happened was that there was this one cat that was, like, uh, just, like, it it wanted to be adopted so bad. And uh, I said to the lady who was there, she's like, oh, no, you can't can't, uh, adopt that cat. That that cat is, like, crazy. Forget it. But I... um, I was like, no, let me hold this cat. Let me, you know, see what's going on. And she took it out of the cage. She handed it to me. And it was a bond that you can never forget. And I'm sure you know that feeling. And uh, we took it home. And unbelievable, the most beautiful thing that you could ever imagine. So I would definitely um, agree you know, and I wasn't even a cat person. So, but it, this cat changed my life in a certain sense. So like, kind of like, you know, I could see Curtis, tough guy, you know, but once, you know, you, you're, you're with the, uh, once you get that taste of, you know, the cats and all, and how much, how 
interesting they are. You, like you're changed forever. Do you agree with that? Oh, oh absolutely. absolutely. In fact, uh, we were referring to Homer that Nancy had rescued from the shelter, who was an older cat but blind from birth. And uh, that cat took to me right away. In fact, when I was in proximity to Homer, Homer would meow. Homer would meow. And Homer would come and would lay on my chest. And uh, that has a habit of taking your blood pressure down. Cats are able to do that. And he just sensed that my blood pressure was high because I was going through a period. It was like off the chart, Michael. It would like be 258 over 120. And people would say, you got to go to the ICU. you got to go to the ER. You'll, you'll stroke out. You'll die. And Homer would sense that even though he was blind. He would crawl up on my chest as I was laying there because I was saying to myself, should I go? Should I not go? Should I go? And then all of a sudden, Nancy would take my blood pressure. I had to make a decision an hour later. And it was down like 40, 40 points. It was down to like 180, you know, something that I could begin to manage. That's how effective cats can be. I agree with that. That's like why, like, the kings and queens, like Cleopatra was a massive cat lover. You know, she, you know, um, especially the, the orange cats. I, I, that's another question, quick, Nancy. I, I don't want to take up your time. But do you um, do you think, like, the different colored cats have different personalities? You know what? Um, it, it's funny. We have, for the first time, uh, one of the rescue uh, kittens, it's, you know, like about uh, five months now, and it's an orange cat. This is the first time I've had an orange cat. So I've had people before in the past say to me, oh, do you have like a ginger cat? Do you, have, you know, and, you know, so there seems to be this idea that there are personality traits associated with certain types of colors, right? So now I would I would think maybe it's more to do with the breed, but I think there is that element of the color thing because, you know, for some reason, I've always gotten great reviews about the orange cat. So I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see, like, if, if it holds true or not. But, yeah, I, maybe some of the breeds. But, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think a lot of it has to do with just how you interact with them. Um, I think that's the biggest factor, like how you socialize them. I think they'll tend to um, really respond to how you, um, you know, sort of develop their personality when they're very small. And everything from that will just you know, flow from that initial interaction. Well, that's Peanut now, the orange yeah, cat. Yeah, Peanut, correct. <laughs> and Peanut, I've noticed, uh, is a bit of a loner. Hasn't yeah. necessarily bonded with the other cats, but isn't a troublemaker either, like Whiskers. Yeah, exactly. Peanut's very um, calm. Let's go to Mike in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Welfare Hour of WABC, Mike. Hello. Yes, you were talking about blind cats. I don't know if people know if you just give uh, cats uh, people food, they can go blind. They need cat food because I think it has taurine in it. Am I correct? I know it does have taurine in it. I know, yeah, I know that um, taurine is uh, bad for cats and bad for their eyes. But yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't aware. Like, um, you know, there's always like that idea of not feeding them people food. But I, I, I wasn't aware of that connection with the blindness of that. No, no, I'm not saying taurine causes it. If they get the cat food, the taurine prevents the blindness. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Okay. Well, I understand because uh, I used to just get people food, and I found out from my doctor, the fact that uh, they have to have taurine, unless I got the story wrong. 
Well, I'll I tell you what. I'll tell you what, Mike. We'll research that, and next week uh, Nancy will come back and uh, give an educated response because uh, you should check with Dr. Nasser on that, who's the vet that we use. Uh, where is Dr. Nasser located again, Nancy? He's in Windsor Terrace. Yeah, he's got a great location. Uh, it's right near the uh, – actually, the uh, – the road that you would take to go towards Coney it's Island. Prospect Expressway, you know, you, you, it's like right off the the BQE, right off, you know, right after the tunnel and bridge. No, yeah, so it's like he, right off the road. He's just a fabulous vet from Egypt. He does so much work for people he in loves, the community. He loves the cats. He's so good. Yeah, so can you contact him uh, tomorrow and ask him about that so that we could yeah, re- report to our audience uh, next week? Absolutely. Let's go to Michael in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC, Michael. Curtis, uh, have you ever tried giving one-a-day animal pills to the cats? So so you mean like the one-a-day vitamins that we took as kids? The vitamins, yes, if you run or if you're running low on the the tablets that the vet says you can give to the cat. And the same thing you do, the uh, chewable uh, dog vitamins for dogs, because my mother, when she was running low, would give Sonny, our beagle, a -a one-a-day vitamin. And she would open the mouth, plop the pill in, tilt her mouth up, and stroke her chin to make it go down. And then she would let the dog drink some fresh water. Wow. Now, uh, Nancy, uh, uh, have you had any experiences where uh, animals uh, that you've had or other people have had have uh, had uh, vitamins? Mm, well, chewable Flintstones. No, I'm kidding. I not. I, I've never heard of anyone using human vitamins for animals. I'm not sure if there would be... Um, like, ram- I mean, again, right, like anything, right? I-, I would imagine it's not ideal, and depending upon what it is that you're giving, it might be a very specific type of thing. I know, um, like, for instance, with cats, right? So they're allergic to certain things that would never occur to me. So maybe depending upon what is in it, but I mean, again, I would think right off the bat, it's not advisable only because it's, it's that, that, that definite possibility. You could be giving something that's conflicting with its system. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'll never forget the time we were going to a series of specialists uh, for me, the ileitis, colitis and chronic Crohn's disease I had and a very well-respected uh, surgeon said, I don't believe in vitamins. I don't believe in vitamins. And I remember you decided to bite your tongue. The cat didn't have your tongue. And uh, I I decided to bite my tongue. But we're vitamin believers. I take vitamin B12. Uh, recently, Margot Katsimatidis said, hey, you should try taking some vitamin D. I'm now taking some vitamin D. I'm a believer in vitamins. And I've had vitamins ever since uh, I was a kid. My mom and dad were big uh, believers in that. And I know you're a believer and all kinds of homeopathic and holistic uh, products, including uh, things that have to do with mushrooms. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a whole host of things out there that are even like the next, you know, like the next level beyond just the basic nutrients that you need. It's it's really just like repairing uh, the system. 
which is where like the things like mushrooms come in. I mean, DNA repairing DNA. I mean, things like that. That's just so. I mean, beyond daily supplements and nutrition. But, you know, there's so many things that are so helpful for the body. Oh, wow. He's Frank Morano's crew member, Matt Blaze, <laughs> our board, uh, board operator. Nancy didn't say shrooms. She said mushrooms. I know you're getting all excited. And maybe we had some shrooms for the cats. But no, that's the psychedelic shack. That's where it's at. Not shrooms. Actual mushroom products. Oh, my God. Anyway, let's go uh, to Deidre, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Deidre. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. Yes. Okay, Nancy, I have a question for you. Now, this happened years ago. Um, Can a cat get drunk off of green olive juice, like from a – no, green olives? Okay. Do you know? (laughs) Let's see. Well, let no, I don't know. Uh, explain that, Deidre. Okay. Have you seen cats uh, sort of licking the, the juice yeah. of the olives? Yes. What happened was, this was years ago. We had a, I had a beautiful, furry, furry cat, gray and white. And my mother was hosting um, a New Year's Eve party, and there was a bowl of olives, like green olives on the counter in the juice. So I caught the cat. When I turned around, I was young. I caught the cat like licking the olive juice. So I, when I put it down, the cat down, he was like, within like ten minutes, he couldn't stand up. He was wobbling. He was like banging into the like things, you know. So I was like, oh my god, something, mom, something's wrong with the cat. I saw it drinking, like sipping on that green olive juice. So we assumed that the cat, whatever was in the olive juice. Like, made them, like, all weary. And, and you were a kid when this happened. Yes, yes. I was okay, like, and, oh, and you oh, said no. there was, like, a party, like a New Year's Eve party? Yeah, my mother was hosting one when I was a child. Yeah, and, uh, may- yeah. Maybe, maybe your mom was just trying to shield you, and they were actually, like, spiked olives. I mean, jeez, oh, I, 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 my mother never drank. Deidre, my mother never drank, or my mother never, my never, my mother never. It was New Year's Eve, maybe she made an exception. I, I'm telling you, she, I'm telling you, I'll God honest truth, but we we always thought something happened with the the green olive juice. Like, why did the cat when I shoot it away? Well, Deidre, I mean, uh, I ate the olives. I ate the olives. Like we all ate it. We were, you know, we had kids at the party, adults. Yeah, but Deidre, we have yeah. a resident expert who knows all about green olives. In fact. <laughs> He has them in his six martinis a day before noon. That's Frank Morano. We'll ask him because, remember, what it does with the gin and uh, the vermouth is something that only he and he alone would know. So I'm assuming that maybe the cat had some of these green olives. You know how people take the green olive out because they don't want to eat the green olive in a martini? It may have been the juice from the green olives that were in martinis they basically, you know, were basted in that vermouth and that gin. So, I mean, we got a resident expert here. Uh, Frank Morano can explain to us all about green olives in uh, martinis. Wow, did you ever hear anything like that before, Nancy? No, 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 I I haven't. But like I said, I, I, uh, I wish we could do testing because I still stand by the fact that I think they were spiked olives. <laughs> well, if you've seen 
the martinis that Frank Morano drinks. Uh, man, it's so strong. You could say those green olives are spiked after <laughs> they just like they're, they're sautéed in that uh, that gin and that vermouth. But anyway, let's go to Barbara in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Barbara. Hi, Nancy and Curtis. I just have a question that I've been wondering for quite a while. Is the Center for Animal Control and the ASPCA the same organization? Mm, I don't think. No, no. I, I don't think what. Yeah, because I know the ASPCA, but the Center for Animal Control, that, that sounds like uh, I'm not sure. Hmm. Well, maybe, kind of have, maybe have the wrong letters. I don't know if I have the right letters or whatever, but what you're talking about where they keep them for 72 hours. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, so that's like the um, – oh, okay, so you maybe you mean animal care and control. Um, that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. yeah, no, yeah. so that's different, right? So animal care and control is the city-run shelter. So uh, what it is oh. is that the – yeah, so New York City has, um, you know, uh, like $25 million and a couple locations – and their job is to, you know, take in uh, animal surrenders and adopt them out. Like, so they're right. tasked with that, and they they hire a company to do that. So the ASPCA, oh, okay. they used to be in charge of, you know, the same thing, but they were yeah, uh, relegated to a, a different thing. So now they're their own independent entity. So they work together at times on certain things. Um, ASPCA used to also um, have the responsibility for um, criminally uh, investigating and prosecuting animal abuse, that's been given over to NYPD, which obviously is pretty ridiculous given that they lack the expertise and they're, you know, over overburdened. So, yeah, but they are different entities, those two. Oh, yeah, no, I concur with that. The ASPCA should be handling that. They were experts at that. Uh, their agents had guns. You know, they had all the rights of a peace officer, of a police officer, and, you know, the police department, they want to do everything. It's like they want to fight the fire department when there's an accident on the FDR. We'll respond. No, no, no. The cop and the fire department and the ESU, the jaws of life. No, we're bringing our jaws of life. And they'll sometimes have a fist fight out there as to who's going to respond to what emergency. Hey, cops, you have enough to do trying to grab guys going in and out of stores who are boosting and shoplifting and robbing and stealing and assaulting people. Let the ASPCA, again, do that kind of work that I actually saw them do a very good job with. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Lewa. You know, Nancy, speaking of Dominic Carter, who's up next... Uh, you know how at the end of his intro music, his theme, there's a voice that we all recognize as Eric Adams. Oh, you tell Dominic Carter, he's, he's my homeboy, Dominic Carter, we go way back. Hmm. Well, I wonder what Dominic Carter is going to say tonight, starting at 12, about the fact that Eric Adams, his homeboy, who, uh, swagger man with no plan, is cutting out and going three days to Qatar to learn about security at World Cup at taxpayers' expense. Will Dominic Carter find out how much this is going to cost us to sucker taxpayers? 
And how many folks will be in the entourage traveling to Qatar? Will that include Sid Rosenberg, who is his newfound friend? I'll ask that question in a few hours. 7.05 when I'm on with Sid, for sure.